0: Tune in to the Neil Prendiville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. Hey, it's Killian. Join me Sundays from 10 for loads of music, a bit of chat and my...
1: My only
0: interesting family. facts of the weekend. It's the Sunday 10 to 2 show with Killian on Cork's Red FM.
1: And then the tabloids roll out the people in bikinis and togs splashing in the sea. Photographs. Probably from last summer, but roll them out anyway, we're happy with it. Our first steps to freedom, uh, and fairly immediate for some people. The two people who've had two vaccine shots uh, can meet indoors and outdoors with another vaccinated person. They can hug, shake hands, do whatever they want, not a fear in them. It's the front page of Making the Ind- Independent today, uh, and Martin dominates an awful lot of papers. The front of the mirror calls it a ray of hope Ireland's summer is back on track as the country slowly emerges from grueling level five on April 12th. It's like the old Donny Osmond song, the 12th of never, isn't it? Never lock back is the front of the sun today, a cautious reopening starting on the 12th of April. And uh, the line that I liked about me all yesterday when he was talking about... We're on the final stretch. That's the kind of language we want to hear. Language of hope going forward and positivity. And there is, I was saying in the weather there, a grand stretch in the day. And hopefully for many people, you'll be able to stretch your own life a little bit further from the 12th of April. And we're asking this morning uh, and have been asking on social media, where's the first place you're going to go? Um, and I'll come back to that throughout the course of the morning. But of course, there's all sorts of breakdowns in the papers as we have a small taste of freedom from the 12th and as the the jab rollout changes. Not everybody's happy with the jab rollout changing to age-based as opposed to a priority list. I mean, some would still be saying that, okay, frontline should include the Gardaí all to be vaccinated and anyone teaching in a school, for instance, where there are teachers inside in a classroom with 25 or 30 students. So it's moving to an age-based system. But what we do know, and there's lots of breakdowns that go right up to July and August, actually, with the change in april 12th of course where you know you be all schooling we'll be back everyone will be back and you know, travel restrictions will be lifted you can go anywhere in your county, not this weekend, not the bank holiday weekend but from the 12th and then on the 19th you know we're looking at training for elite sports coming back and stuff like that and on the 26th then of April golf courses, tennis courts zoos, pet farms, heritage sites will all open, it's fantastic news for FOTA who were slightly worried about their future financially so they got a bit of a shot in the arm themselves because FOTA is coming back and photo will be absolutely black won't it but Potential changes for May, all construction will be back. Non-essential retail will start to come back. More and more by way of click and collect and outdoor retailers will be allowed to open and stuff like that. Um, and then we'll be looking at museums and galleries and libraries, the indoor stuff starting to open as well, potentially uh, across May. Uh, and religious services maybe Uh, i mean we're going to see more people being able to go to certainly to funerals and imagine weddings as well and then june is the month that they're talking about hotels B and guest houses and i don't have a date for that in june but that's what they've penciled in depending on numbers Uh, but it doesn't include pubs whether that would be a a, a wet pub or a a, or a restaurant as such you know hotels and bmbs and guest houses for June, So is that July and August? Probably. Um, you know, restaurants, inside and outside dining? Don't know. Pubs, serving food? Yeah. Wet pubs? Not a 100% sure. But if it were to happen, it would probably be in and around July. So they're all talking about that this morning. But the guards are warning in the Echo today that they will be patrolling fairly strictly across the bank holiday weekend. Um, you know, you still are within the 20K. Uh, and they will be checking West Cork and East Cork and people who have mobile homes and apparently... Uh, The beauty spots will be checked as well. And also people's holiday homes. So they're not heading off for the bank holiday weekend to a holiday home. I heard a sad old story the other day of four women who went for a stroll together down the marina. Not from the same household. I get that. But they were together. And uh, uh, whatever way they answered questions to the Gardaí when they were asked about it down the marina, they all got a 100 euro fine. And I just thought, that's a bit over the top, to be honest with you. When you see other people gathering And, you know, they had masks on and everything to the best of my understanding of it, but Four €100 Euro, uh, fines. Just a bit OTT. Uh, you know, the issues of the beacon, uh, that's a story that continues to give with the chief of the VHI also uh, vaccinated and he's had to step aside now because the VHI is now having um, an inquiry into the matter. I don't know whether there'll be an inquiry into the story I read in the examiner this morning of eight members of the Garda Shikana who had their hair cut by a colleague in a Dublin Garda station at the weekend. That is... A breach of COVID-19 guidelines. I don't know whether the guard that did the haircutting was a barber in a former life or not, uh, but cut the hair uh, he did. And those personal services such as barbers and hairdressers, um, they ain't open and uh, you can't be doing that kind of thing, I suppose. We have another protest, actually. Well, actually, I should call it a rally. Um, because the last one uh, was very well organised, very well, um, you know, I mean, there were people there and they were up close and personal, unfortunately, but there was no trouble, is what I mean, in that regard. And there's another one for... um Uh, The weekend here in Cork, 2 p.m. on Saturday at the uh, National Monument on the Grand Parade. Uh, And I see John Maher, the councillor, criticising it, saying that it shouldn't take place because it's going to risk lives. And then as to the 33 countries that are on our quarantine list, they figure that more could be added to it. France. And Germany could be added to the list and even the United States of America. So that's the story that makes the uh, examiner today. Meanwhile, those that are in quarantine make the mail because three of them have tested positive while in there. And then house prices. I'm going to come back to this later on because it would take me too long to dwell on it now. But they look at the increases. Firstly, there's a shortage of property, particularly three-bedroom semis. And I suppose that's the reason why you find year on year that house prices in some counties have gone up €20,000. Mind you, if you want to get a chape house, the county to live in is Leitrim, where um, you'll get a three-bedroom semi for just under 133000 By comparison to Dublin, where the same kind of house is 400000 Or indeed Cork, where the same kind of house is 233000 in the county. And a whopping three-bedroom semi in the city is averaging at €309,500. Big comparison between Cork and Leitrim, but then again, everybody would want to live in Cork, wouldn't they? Internationally, um, the uh, policeman um, Chauvin, who's on trial for the death of George Lloyd, makes the international sections of many of the papers because the trial is going on in America and it's being televised. Headline in the Star this morning says, the crowd begged Floyd's killer to stop but he just knelt on his neck harder. And there's an incredible story from the English Times this morning of Lewis Roberts, an 18-year-old. I mean, this is bizarre. This is a teenager who was declared brain dead after he was hit by a van. Hours before his organs were to be donated and the machine switched off, what happened? He woke up, started blinking. Just hours before the machine was being switched off and his organs were to be harvested. Um, And he began, firstly, he blinked, And then they said, oh my God, he's awake. They took the ventilator off him and he was able to breathe by himself. And for those of you who like a glass of vino, apparently six glasses of wine a week, which apparently is your your limit anyway if you want to do things right, uh, lowers the risk of cataracts. So there's your excuse if you get grief for anybody if you're having an extra glass of red. Sorry. This is medically important to reduce the risks of cataract. Prendo told me. The Neil Prendeville Show. Morning, all. You can text 868104106 eight one zero four one zero six. I'll come back to some of those stories throughout the course of the morning, and also to children who just can't get shoes unless you buy them online, and there's a bit of a lottery there. So I will be returning to that story. But I want to share a story with you that I think is very, very interesting top drawer stuff um, because it has a Cork connection and I was reading about it at the weekend. It is the story of Patricia Mary Jones originally from Cork Um, she um, had a husband, she had seven children and after 15 years of married life in the UK in Sussex uh, she vanished Uh, she walked out the door and apart from a couple of sightings over the years nothing was ever heard of her since and her her own daughter in the sense that Patricia Mary Jones daughter passed away but her granddaughter continues the search and her granddaughter is Pip O'Neill the granddaughter of Patricia Mary Jones and she joins me by phone lovely to talk to you Pip good morning good
2: morning good morning
1: it's a, an incredible story of course and well done for not giving up the search but what's very interesting to us is the cork connection can you just talk us through uh, your grandma and what what you believe may have happened or, or what happened back when she literally walked out the door
2: yeah of course so um, both of my so both the um, O'Neills and Joneses are from uh, from Cove and um, Patsy was actually born in um, Blarney Street in Cork City, uh, but they lived in Cove. They were married in Cove in 1945. Uh, they had a couple of children there. All of the families were there still. And then they moved over to London in the kind of mid 1950s. Um, they were there for a couple of years. I think Patricia really enjoyed that. Um, she had siblings there. You know, she liked the lights and the the uh the parties and uh all of the the fun things that you could do as a kind of young woman in the city in that time um and then um my aunt um had a bad chest from the smog in london um and so my granddad got a job out in Sussex so that they could be in the fresher air and you know be by the countryside. It was actually when Gatwick airport was being developed as well yeah. um and they were there for about a year um and I think she was just miserable. Um, she was so far away. I mean, it was only, it's only actually 30 miles from London, but, you know, as a young mother of seven, she wouldn't really have had any way of getting back to London. She was far away from her parents, who was still in Cove, um, far away from her siblings, still in Cove, and I think she just, you know, she woke up one day and she just decided she didn't want this life anymore.
1: Why am I reading that she may have had postnatal or postpartum depression? Had she had recently had a child?
2: Yes, yes. So, so of the seven children, the youngest child was only 8 months old when right. she left. Yeah. Um so yeah, my cousins and I think now in hindsight that it's very likely that she probably had postpartum depression. Um she'd had a lot of children in a in a very few years, you know. It was kind of like a kid a kid every year for so 15 almost. Um
1: And before your man passed away, clearly, you had conversations with your mother about her mother? what did yes. she think i mean uh, you know were there stories handed down that patricia's mood had changed or that she seemed depressed or lethargic or upset about anything
2: yeah i think um from my mom's perspective she was obviously heartbroken when she couldn't find her and then when she she found her through the salvation army but patricia didn't want to be didn't want to be found and i think there's probably a lot of shame surrounding that you know if you make a decision to leave your family that's then something that you have to deal with whether that's actively dealing with that or you know passively um pushing that putting that in a box and not dealing with it again but from from my mom's perspective she'd she'd just heard that she was a young woman and that you know she, she had this life that she wasn't sure how she felt about um and she'd kind of she was in a situation where it would stay and stick it out for the hard run with a lot of children yeah. in a town that you don't know yeah. or it was it would leave. I don't think she felt any anger towards her. I think it was mostly just sadness. I mean, my mom was only three when Patricia left, so she felt that absence of a mother
1: greatly. But it, I guess your mother then would have been something like in her 30s maybe or, or 40s when she found her mum or thought yeah. she found her. Talk to us about that in the 90s, the early 90s.
2: Yeah so um so I've got an older sister and I was actually born in the early 90s and I think it's likely that that's what um that's what pushed my mum to to have another look and have and find her. Um it's weird because all of Patricia's family all of the Joneses we're still in really good contact with them. It's not like that cut off. they've stayed in my my entire life and my mum's life they were they really helped my granddad like look after the kids after Patricia had left which um which is strange I guess because you'd expect if she'd left that maybe we'd have had no contact with her family but yeah. um, I think because she was of a similar age to, to how old Patricia would have been when she left. When she She left. probably felt, yeah, a very strong connection to her at that time and, so and hoped that there would be enough time to pass.
1: So she got in touch in the early 90s with the Salvation Army. Was that yes. in London?
2: Yeah, it was in London, yeah. So my mum was of the opinion that because Patricia had been seen in Brixton, it was likely that she'd stayed in London. And was she
1: sighted in Brixton with, with a couple of kids by the hand?
2: Yes, she was, yeah, in 1963 or 1964, which is where we thought maybe she'd had another family. It's kind of why I put the, the appeal out. I thought maybe someone would think, oh, that sounds like my grandma, and we might find out. Yeah,
1: yeah. So when your mam got on to the Salvation Army, I read at the weekend that your grandmother, Patsy, didn't want to be found. Explain that.
2: Yeah, so she basically said so the Salvation Army have an obligation, whereas someone doesn't want to have their details passed on to the person who's inquired. They just don't have to. So it just comes back with like a generic letter, like, sorry, we found this person and they're alive and safe, but they didn't basically want to be contacted. So it's quite a generic. It wasn't like a personal response or anything. It's just like their standard protocol.
1: And how did your mum feel about that?
2: oh heartbroken she was absolutely heartbroken she was just really hoping that that was going to be the time for them to find out what happened and even if there was no relationship to be had there in the subsequent years perhaps they could have done some you know had some closure and done some healing
1: it's a real mystery isn't it i mean were there times over the years that family members traipsed around london looking for her
2: there was loads of times, because like, she had siblings in London and, and we have cousins up there. There were loads of times where people would almost like touch on the subject or be like, oh, you know, like Patricia left. And we'd be like, yeah, we don't know what happened. Do you know what happened? And like, you know, there was never any answers. So if there was, if her, any of her siblings did know that they, they took it to their graves with them, unfortunately. I mean, it's not something that was ever discussed with, with my mom and her siblings.
1: And the connections back here in Cork then, whether it was, yes. say, Blarney Street or Cove, who? What? What family names were they? Were they? Were they Jones? No, there wouldn't have been Jones.
2: Yeah, yeah, so, yeah so Her maiden name was Jones, and Jones. her married name was O'Neill.
1: Okay, so did she ever contact family back in Cork?
2: As far as I'm aware, no. Um, as far as so her parents, her my great grandparents hired a private investigator to try and find her in London, and they had no success. Um, Actually, some of the children, some of Patricia's children actually were sent back to Cove after she left because my granddad suddenly had to work out how to hold down a full-time job and look after seven children. So he couldn't
1: look after the seven, so they were sent back to be reared by family in Cove?
2: Yeah, for about six months to a year and then then they were all reunited and he'd kind of worked out a system of how it was going to work.
1: So she didn't reach out to her own family because she was a Cork, she was a young Cork girl. She was born in Cork, she was reared in Cork. Cork was her home she never got in touch with them either um and then of course your mam died um in 2015 sorry to hear that never having learned what happened to her mother no well knowing that she had walked out knowing that she had been contacted but didn't want to get in touch that must have been heartbreaking for her yeah
2: i think it was i think it was incredibly difficult it's actually now i was the reason I put the appeal out is because I thought enough times passed that Patricia's probably passed as well. She'd be ninety-seven if she hasn't. Um, that I can now look into it for, for my ma's sake without hurting anyone. You know, without there being that active hurt.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't know for sure whether or not Corkborn Patricia Mary Jones has actually passed away, unless sure. you were to check the obituaries of every day of every week of every year. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know that, but um, I mean, as a, from a family standpoint, um, I don't know for uh, uh, the, the rest of them haven't lived particularly long lives. So I'd be surprised if she is alive. It was it was a hard times.
1: So the photographs then that I saw online and some of the newspaper papers picked up on. Um, a stunningly beautiful young woman uh, who, who loved her style, loved her fashion, and, and some lovely photographs of her out socializing with friends, the kind of things that we all have at home that our parents, you know, a lot of Irish people went to London and socialized and got jobs, those kind of photographs. But a particularly beautiful one around a kitchen, uh, like a front room table in, in a small little house. What's that photograph?
2: That photograph is um, the house where um, Patricia was born in Blarney Street in Cork City. Um, That's actually not her in the picture; it's her parents yes. um, and um, and some of her siblings. But um, it's a picture that I was sent recently by one of my cousins, and I just love it. I just think it is so like beautiful.
1: Yeah. So these are your um, grand great grandparents yeah. sitting around having a meal in the family home in Blarney Street, the Jones family home in Blarney Street. Yeah. yeah. And do you think that there could be some help in Cork to help you piece together whether, you know, what happened or the story of your your grandmother's life?
2: Yeah, I think it's very possible. I think so. some people have suggested that um, she might have had trouble, you know, if she had remarried, probably a Catholic, she might have had trouble with that, so that she might have had to go back to Ireland. So it's possible that she went home or somewhere around Cork.
1: Yeah, the theory is that she remarried, Couldn't go home without revealing that she hadn't divorced her first husband. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think because they were Catholic, I think she left, and then for her, she would have been in a bit of a situation. I mean, Catholicism was obviously um, a big deal at. Well, obviously, still is, but it was a bigger deal. Um, I don't know how much it would have affected her having a relationship with an English man, for example. But I think anyone else would have known that she that she was still married and and that her husband was alive and well, just you know, a short thirty uh, minutes I away.
1: know how people would react to that. But have you gone through births, marriages, deaths, and, and checked with the official sources in that regard?
2: I have, I yeah. have, yeah. I've looked through all of those, but unfortunately, because Patricia Mary Jones or Patricia Mary O'Neill is such a like common Catholic name, I'm hoping now that I might be able to find her national insurance number or her social security number and I might be able to find some more information that
1: way. There could be a chance that she ended up coming back to Cork.
2: Yes, yeah.
1: Um, But you don't know whether she did or not or stayed in London because some family members... Wasn't there a member of the family who, who thought they saw her in a Brixton market in the 60s with two small children, possibly twins?
2: Yes, yeah, that was her brother. He saw her in Brixton Market in about 1963, but he wasn't close enough to talk to her. But his assumption was that the children were hers. You know, he, from her body language, he thought that the children were hers. Did he is.
1: try to get to her, but she was too far away?
2: Yeah, he was. He was travelling past, and like he oh. stopped and tried to get back to her. And by the time he got there, she was gone. And then there was another cousin on the O'Neill side who had a similar circumstance, saw her kind of at a distance, thought hang on a second, that's Patricia, but then by the time
1: they got to her, she gone. Oh my God, so near and yet so far. Yeah. Okay, well, we we will be sharing the photographs and the story like many others are. I'm quite sure the same thing is happening in the UK, is it? Sharing our photographs, it sharing is, the yeah, story.
3: She's kind of blown up a bit, it's really wonderful.
1: Well, hopefully it will come to fruition and you'll be getting some ans- unanswered questions. yes i really hope so yeah and if there's anybody in cork that this might ring any kind of bell with you would never know um can how can they get in touch with you
2: uh they can get in touch with me through twitter or my emails on my twitter as well they drop me an email
1: okay let me give out that information and indeed if they can't follow any of that they can get in touch with me and i can put them in touch with you
2: okay brilliant
1: it's lovely to talk perhaps you might have an opportunity to talk in the future pip
2: yeah, that would be really lovely. I'll definitely keep everyone updated on anything I find.
1: Thank you so much. You're very kind. Have a good day and thanks for sharing Thank the story of your you grandmother, so Patricia Mary Jones, who in 1960 left a husband and seven children after 15 years of marriage and may have been seen a couple of times by relatives so close but yet so far, but many unanswered questions. And of course, there is a core connection. She was born on Blarney Street, moved from there with the family when she was young to Cove and then in later years uh, to the UK, where she raised her own family. It's an extraordinary story, I believe, and I hope you feel the same. If you have any information, incidentally, at Pip underscore O'Neill on Twitter. Um, that would be at Pip underscore O'Neill on Twitter. Or get in touch with me, text 868 Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Where's the first place in Cork? You'll be heading on April 12th when the 5K rule is gone and you can travel all over the county. Nicholas says, it's great, mobile home parks will open. I'll wait a bit longer to head to Kerry. Well, (laughs) crossing the border is a different story. Aaron says, Gary Vaux and Ballycotton. Dan wants to get to y'all. He wants to be in y'all at dawn. The sunrise. Lydia says, Defo, take the kids for a run around the beach. Nothing like the beach and the sea air. Caroline is looking forward to Skull. Kiron is looking forward to Inchidani for a swim and a walk. Paul wants to go to Santorini. Well, unless there's a village somewhere in Cork called Santorini, pal. John says, the beach. Any beach, regardless of the weather. Paul says, Inchidani. y'all can sail Garretts down. So much to pick, but definitely the beach. One each day, I suppose. Dean Lanzarotti, I suppose Lanzarote is just outside Skoll. Uh, Matthew says, Mullin Waterfall. And Podrick says, I'd like to be able to visit Canada, where one of my brothers who died of cancer's ashes were spread. The other is to mourn with family and friends of the brother who passed away in Cork, both during the last six months. But I'll wait, because lives matter more. Also, going to a scan with my pregnant wife, she could do with the support. She's been told she lost a baby on her own at six weeks last summer. Now at 27 weeks this time round, she's still anxious going it alone. And the great B.B. Baskin says, nearly everybody's right fed up now. If there was one thing to be restored immediately, what would it be? For me, she says, restaurants. Maybe July, possibly June if we behave ourselves. And Karen says sail, and Emma says photo. Meanwhile, talking about moving around, let me stay with the phone lines. Busy morning this morning. In a couple of minutes, I'll talk to Adrian Cummins of the Restaurant Association just to get thoughts as to where they think they are in the mix. Uh, so more on that in a few minutes' time. But Fred, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good, my man. Now, talk to me about uh, the dubs down in West Cork. What do you know?
4: Yeah, I heard that West Cork is full up of uh, doves they came down they're coming down since Saturday I think by night and they have all their boats and they're going to their summer houses and um, I can't see us opening up if I mean West Cork is clear of COVID at the moment and I mean the doves aren't clear and they're
1: So they're going down in the middle of the night, you're saying, to avoid yeah. checkpoints or questions, is it? Exactly, yes. But aren't the locals, though, wouldn't they be reporting them to the guards down west?
4: Uh, sir, I don't think anybody like reporting anybody, uh, 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 Neil. Um, I have this now from the horses' mouth.
1: Are they launching on... their boats and their yachts and their ribs and stuff, is it?
4: Oh, sir, they brought all their gear down to uh, holiday homes in West Cork. And um, I believe Canikilty is washed with dubs at the moment. And um, I was also on to a, a cousin of mine who lives down in um, Dingle last night. And he said that uh, Dingle is booked out for the weekend.
1: This weekend?
4: Yes. He said that all the houses to let are
1: all taken. Well... The guest houses won't be booked out because they're not open. The hotels won't be booked out because they're not open. But Airbnb would be rocking, is that it? Yes,
4: and all the houses, like if you were a house down in Dingle and you'd have it to let for the summer, then the house available, he'd hold me down
1: there. But but surely they will be stopped trying to get into Dingle Town with the D Reg or to West Cork with the D Reg. Yeah, you
4: would expect that, but they will probably, you know, I don't know, like how did the dubs get to, to,
1: to West Cork, right? We why are we critical of the dubs? I mean, is it not also the case that you might find a lot of Cork people will head west for the bank holiday weekend?
4: Yeah, there's a lot of people also from Cork down, and I just ran into my head now, down in uh, Ventry in their mobile homes.
1: And you have that from the horse's mouth down there I as well? I have that from the horse's mouth. Because the guards this morning, Chief Super Con Cadigan, you tend, you tend to sit up and take notice when the, the Chief Super says something. He says that the guardy will be patrolling holiday homes this weekend. To me, that means they'll be knocking on doors of holiday homes that have a car in them or have activity or lights on. Wouldn't you agree? I would, but certainly, look, take.
4: I came back from South Africa last year and... Um, and when I came back, I went into lockdown, and I signed a form on the plane and handed it into. Uh, as I went through the airport, did somebody knock on my door to see was I? No. In Black Rock. No. No. Yeah. Did somebody ring me to say where are you?
1: No. <laughs> The Echo this morning yes. says that West Cork Gardee handed out fines relating to house parties in Clonakilty and Skibbereen last weekend um, and they will be increasing their presence on all roads, all amenities and towns across the bank holiday weekend. Do you think that maybe those that rent out the holiday homes should also be fined, never mind oh, those I, that go to them?
4: I don't, like because we're all abiding by the rules. I'm um, I'm up here in Limerick since... Uh uh, all locked down here in January, or you know, I, I'm not going to chance going to Cork because I'd probably get caught there as you drive the bypass to Glenmire is where the checkpoint is. Yeah, I, I'd say I get a fine there. So I, I'd i like to get back to Cork. I have um, I have uh, a new grandchild that was born before Christmas. And uh, I say uh, the only time I see her is on um is uh, and uh, facetiming with her, she, she won't know me. I didn't hold her in my arms yet, and I'm trying to abide by the rules.
1: I know what you're saying. Okay, let's see if we can get people down west to contribute to this and let us know if what you're saying. I'm not yeah. doubting what you're saying, but if they back up no, what no, you're saying, I well, mean, they're, uh, I they're seeing not, an influx I'm, of uh outside cork ridges, you know. Yeah, I'm not doubting the
4: contacts so I have either right, okay have so you course, said
1: you, where in West Cork was that in particular was that Skull or something or, or? no
4: all over West Cork so Clunic all over is a what with Dubs, I believe at the moment
1: all right so you you referenced Clonic Kilty and other areas of West Cork Dingle and Ventry okay
4: appreciate it Fred not knocking. I, I'm not knocking Dublin people don't get me wrong because I'm happy my dad was from Dublin but what I'm uh, what I like we're going to open up on the 12th of April, please guys. but I'd say the numbers would be up and we won't open up at all.
1: Well, we shall have to wait and see. Appreciate you taking yep. the call. Thanks so much, Thanks, Fred, late. as always. Bye. Lines open at one 104 106 text 868 104 I do not know why um, people aren't being challenged more. Again, yesterday, and this was an RT, it was said on a number of occasions, um, numbers are stubbornly high Um, yet nobody challenges anybody in officialdom when they say that. Numbers are not stubbornly high. Dublin numbers are high. The rest of the country, the numbers are very, very low. Nobody challenges that when it said, oh, there's too many cases, 368 cases yesterday, for instance, and 14 deaths, yes, but in Cork, um, when you look at it and break it down, 14 cases reported in Cork, right? 14 cases in the entire city and county. Again, the highest there is Dublin and counties surrounding it, Kildare and Meath. But when you look at the rest of the country, tiny ICU numbers are way down. The amount of people going into hospital, way, way down. Um, you know, pressure on the health system, way down. Now, I know we want to keep it that way, but I'm just mentioning it. I hate when people say numbers are stubbornly high. They're not. Dublin is the issue. That's where the numbers are high. And that's where I want to go. Adrian Cummins is the CEO of the Restaurant Association. He squeezed me in this morning on a busy morning, so I'm appreciative of that. Adrian, good morning. Good morning. You still don't have clarity as such, you don't, with regards to restaurants and we can throw gastro pubs and wet pubs into the mix. W- would you be would you be thinking it'll be after the hotels and the B and Bs and guest houses say open in June? Or w- will it be July or or what do you think? Well, Neil, first of
5: all, thank you for having me on the show. Um We don't know. We're in in kind of no man's land at the moment. But we have have no line of sight when we will be allowed open, what dates or time frame metrics, or what is the roadmap to reopening restaurants across the country. Uh, The government uh, did announce that yesterday evening that they would reopen hotels and guest houses in June. And then uh, right across our industry, everybody started asking the question, what's the difference between a restaurant... A standalone independent restaurant or a coffee shop and a restaurant inside in a hotel that's or a guest right. house.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean,
5: that to me uh, didn't make sense to us. Uh, we all would like, to, we ever, like, we all want to open. Uh, we want to open safely and if you're opening hotels and guest houses safely well, then there's no reason why you couldn't open a restaurant or a coffee shop which is independent beside it safely as well. To me, it caused, it caused fury across our industry and audience, and also it caused a lot of worry to businesses that they don't know where they where they stand at the moment.
1: Doesn't it? Doesn't it tie in though with vaccinations and vaccine numbers as to where we're at? And that he kind of implied yesterday or last night that that would be that the vast majority of the population will will have significant protection. Many will have two doses. Many will have one by July, and that really. Summer proper and all businesses proper would be from July onwards. He called um, he called it significant opportunities to reopen even further. Would that wouldn't that be you guys in July?
5: Uh, I I agree that the vaccine rollout is the silver bullet for us, and the speed and scale of the vaccine program has to be uh, where we need to be as a country, uh, and we will get to, and we hope we will get to the eighty percent by the end, end of June. But what the confusion is here is, what's the difference between one part of hospitality and another part of hospitality when you have two identical businesses? That's where we we are confused and we feel that we we should be able to allow uh, restaurants, independent restaurants, coffee shops open in line with hotels. Because it will be the same customers that will be going into both. Uh, both uh, hotels and guest houses it'll be vaccinated or non vaccinated unless the government have a plan around a vaccine certificate that they haven't uh, outlined yet that too they much. haven't said yeah
1: like do you yeah, would you, do you think that. then that in june when say hotels open that members of the public without booking a room will be able to go in to have a drink or to have a plate of food in june
5: well obviously if you go to a hotel and you uh, if you are a Let's call it a um, essential worker at the moment, and we have people within the healthcare service that are using hotel facilities, and they can get a meal, and some can get a drink as well. But like when you're opening up to the wider public, and you have greater numbers of people, that's where I feel that you know we're either all in this together, or. There is something at play that we haven't
1: been told yet. No, but like when I got into a hotel, it happened to be West Cork. When they lifted restrictions mm-hmm. last year, down into uh, the Eccles Hotel in West in, in in West Cork, Glengareth. the public couldn't go in, but those that had booked an overnight stay could. You know, there were still restrictions within the hotels. Yeah, well,
5: you know, we had this back in you know last summer. It worked extremely well. We had, you know, we all opened on the 29th of of June, if memory serves me correctly. And it worked extremely well during the month of June, July and August last year. And it was well policed. It's all about policing this and making sure that everybody does the right thing and there's no messing. Um, And I would feel that we want to make sure that when we open, we don't we don't close again. Yeah. I think every business understands that. This has, We can't have the scenario where we're open and we're closed again. We need to make sure that whatever happens, that, you know, if there are rogue traders out there, they're immediately shut down, and they're shut down for a long time. And we could see it prior to Christmas that there was rogue traders and they weren't shut down. And those that, ha- you know, that should have the authorities didn't shut them down. And um, I think we need to get to a position that we're all very comfortable with where we're going. We need to have, and I keep saying this, are we all in this together or are we not? I don't feel that we're all in this together. Uh, and I feel that we have to have a full and frank conversation with the government to say, well, listen, what is the plan for hospitality? Tell us what the plan is. And if this is the plan, well, then we're all sticking to the plan.
1: And they would say he called it the final stretch. They would say that it will depend on the amount of people vaccinated, um, and that's the reason why I keep on going back to you know well, Ju- July.
5: Neil, May live the you know the government are on the record now that they will have eighty the, percent of the adult population vaccinated by June. Like you know they either will or they won't, and that's. You know, I I would hate to be in this position at the end of June, and we're talking about not achieving our targets. We must achieve our targets. That's it. It's 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 as, it's as simple as that. And I've described the tourism and the hospitality, the tourism season as being like we're trying to land, a, land, land an aircraft. We can't miss the runway. If we miss uh, June, July and August, well, then your income levels for the, those regional and West Corks and parts of regional Northern Ireland, they're in, they, they'll have a second year of being hit extremely hard with no international tourists coming into the country, depending on the staycation season. So, you know, we need to make sure we do this right, we, we will do everything that we are, are asked to do under public health advice. Yeah. I want to be very clear on that. Yeah,
1: yeah. So just finally, before I let you go, we're talking about at least 130,000 workers across the country. Many, many more, of course, who are employed in other businesses that supply the restaurants, the gastropubs and the cafe owners. You know, will you, will, imagine that some of that those staff have left hospitality. Will there be a shortage of staff when things get back? And indeed, will all of the restaurants and cafes even reopen? Will some, like pubs, just go by the board?
5: Uh, to answer your question, Neil, yes, to, to you know, all parts of that question. You're going to have a chronic shor- shortage of staff uh, when we reopen. Um, and that's, you know, that is... That's a fact because so many workers have moved to other other, uh, occupations because they need to pay bills and pay mortgages and and get on with their lives. And with regards to closures, we we know and we can see it internally in our own surveys of businesses that we would expect about 50% of of restaurants will go to the wall because the business support that they're getting at the moment isn't enough to keep these businesses afloat. And they're treading water day, week in, week out. Very simply, Neil, if they get a thousand euros a month from the government and it costs them two thousand euros on rent and fixed costs, that business is losing money. That business will fail, and the bank won't won't go near them because there will be there will be uh, uh, a business that has uh, already in the red uh, and, and a distressed business at that. So we can see that there is a substantial number of businesses out there that are treading water, and unless the government. Increase the business support. So now is the time that they need to do this. They need to get all these businesses to the finishing line. So that we have these these businesses that can reemploy the thousands and thousands of workers out there, and that just need a job but when we start to get, get back
1: back open again. But hold on a second, did you say that fifty percent of restaurants won't reopen, or fifty percent of restaurants won't be re- reopen unless they get more financial aid? Which is it? Are you, because that's a that's a we staggering can, number, fifty percent. can
5: see we can see from our internal research that fifty percent of restaurants are on the verge of collapse. That is. That they are treading so much water and uh, accumulating so much debt yes. that they are on the verge of collapse. It's as simple as this. They either have two things they either keep going uh, and they will fail, or the government increase the business support to try and get them to the finishing line, which the government ha- hasn't done. And we've pleaded with them to tre- increase the, the business support because the restaurants, when you look at the amount of restaurants out there, they have to pay landlords. There's a substantial number of landlords that haven't reduced the rent. And these businesses have to continuously pay rent out of their own savings and or out of lo- get more loans or whatever they have to do to keep their business afloat. And I'm saying very clearly here from our entire research that about fifty percent are on the verge of collapse.
1: It's a shocking figure. It really and truly is. Adrian, thanks so much for taking the call. Appreciate it as always. Adrian Cummins, CEO of the Restaurant Association of Ireland. 50% of restaurants on the verge of collapse. It's very, very sad, isn't it? Maybe some have already made up their minds not to reopen and we don't know anything about it. It's like what I was saying last week that there are people who have lost their jobs and they don't know about it yet. It's very, very sad for that section of the industry. But again, uh, as Micheál Martin was saying yesterday, that is all down to the rollout of the vaccine. So that's the only game in town, really, isn't it? And we had numbers yesterday, as I mentioned, uh, and the cases that came in for Cork, 14 um, um, as of yesterday. Uh, it's interesting, you look at the amount of people that are actually in hospital. These are just hospitalized patients. Uh, and this information is important, because you don't hear it in many places. 310 people are in hospitals now with COVID-19. 67 of them are in ICU. Do you remember when that number was way over 200. Um, that's incredible. Just with regards to the vaccine doses uh, min- administered as of the 27th, which is the last figure I have for vaccine doses, uh, just over 802,500 doses. Now, a lot of those are first doses. So I yesterday went down uh, because I'm deemed to be uh, on this this list of uh, underlying conditions and stuff like that, which came as I was telling you yesterday, came as a surprise to me. Uh, and yesterday I went uh, to Porky Cueve. I had an appointment there for uh, quarter past two. And what they say to you is, you arrive maybe 10 minutes beforehand, you park up your car. Now, for those that aren't, remember I saw a guy last week who wasn't great on his feet and his walk was very, very long? Um, the, the walk is very, very long. You, If you're able bodied, and clearly I am, you can do the walk. It's a walk, you park up and you go right around the perimeter of Porky Cueve. Um, it's bollard off there's a track that you walk but they did ask me (laughs) are you okay to walk? I don't know whether I was happy to hear that or insulted Uh, but anyway lovely people and there's lots and lots of Cork security employed down there loads of them and one of them is nicer than the next they're very helpful they anticipate all of your questions and what even before you ask them they've probably been asked the same questions over and over but if you couldn't do that walk then you will be able to park closer yeah Then when you go into Parky Creeve, you have another choice then as to whether you use the steps or the lift. And I was asked that as well. I said, oh, I'll grab the steps. Kind of half regretted it by the time I got to the top because you're traipsing right up to the top level of Parky Creeve. Then you have staff all the way along. So when you go in then proper, you're guided into an area where they have a lot of cubicles. And there's people sitting behind the cubicles and you wait. And then they... Sanitize the seat after the person before you, and you go to this plastic, you know, know, you've got a seated area, this booth, and there's a plastic screen between you and the people behind, and they ask you typical questions, you know, name, PPS number. They ask you questions as to whether you've had reactions to vaccines in the past, or had this, had a vaccine, or whether you had COVID, or have it, or whatever. uh, And uh, all that's very well. And then you get some paperwork telling you about this, then the other side effects, and then you move again and at that stage then as you're walking down the premium section of the top level of Porky Grieve you can look out onto the pitch it's pristine looks absolutely beautifully manicured nothing played on it so it looks lovely that's when you start to meet the army and then the army pick up the game and they're incredible too and it's just great to see them all in their army gear (laughs) I have to say I thought it looked brilliant and they're all fit looking guys and fit looking girls so they take up the story then and they move you along into an area and everywhere you go then you're met with people with clipboards, and on the clipboard is your name and your date of birth and your PPS number. So it's not as if anybody, uh, <laughs> spite of whether you're a pharmacist or not, could slip in there, um, you know, not being on the list. And at that size, then of course you're met again, uh, and you're right into a cubicle. There's two people in the cubicle with you, both nurses, uh, and they explain different things. Let uh, me get this here because they actually tell you about. The possible side effects, and by the time they were finished with the side effects, I was saying, "Mother of God, I don't want it at all." It was, it was the Astra, AstraZeneca, and I was still alive. Uh, so they they talked to you then about um, you know some of the after effects, which include fever, flu like symptoms, nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, joint pain, muscle pain, bad headaches, feeling absolutely exhausted. And I said, "Stop." <laughs> Don't know anymore, um, but they're obliged to tell you all of that. You know, maybe bruising around the the, the vaccination site, redness, itching of the arm. Most of that he didn't have. I have to say, um, most of it. That's fine, and then you get the jab, and and off you go. You literally repeat the process going out. You got a different exit you walk around the rest of Parky and out you have to wait for 15 minutes after you get your dose so you sit then in an area then that has uh, all of the chairs which are segregated from each other and this I mean if I was to change one single thing I would play music because it's deadly quiet in there particularly when you're sitting down and you're waiting for the 15 minutes to pass they're keeping an eye on you you see you don't collapse or whatever you know 15 minutes then you take off your sticker and you leave but I would play I would play music, right? You would write them a letter and say that. No, I would play music. They were brilliant. Every <laughs> single bit. Of, I'm not saying rock and tunes out loud where you Elevation can't hear music. the instruction. It's just something, because Parky is a great sound system. And that was the only thing, because you're kind of sitting there and it's weird. Yeah, you're surrounded tone. by all of these other people who are also sitting. <laughs> Absolute silence. 40 people in total silence.
6: Brenda's very excited now with all the mention of the army men. Oh, I can't wait for the all vaccination.
1: The, the Irish army, then, are so impressive.
6: Well, when you said they look fine and fit, They're I said to Emer straight away, I can't wait to go down. So that's
1: the only thing. get <laughs> you know, a little bit of music would, I mean, maybe it wouldn't work. Maybe it might distract people. I don't know. But I just thought, I think music is a great l- lifter as well. And if yeah, people were anyway anxious really. or. You know, maybe a, maybe a bit of Frank Sinatra or something. Something Lovely. kind of, not <laughs> elevatory, but maybe a bit of jazz. I don't <laughs> know. Do a
6: DJ set down there, Neil. Could, yeah, exactly. Or like, Stevie
1: uh, G. Or yeah, Stevie yeah, G. Yeah, brilliant idea.
7: But I think it's hilarious the way everyone's asking, which one did you get? Which one did you get? And yeah. then someone says to me yesterday, I'm not getting the, what, the Sputnik one at all off. Putin, that's like taking something off Hitler.
1: <laughs> well... I got the Oxford, so I really should be speaking with a grand Oxford University Mm -hmm. axe. But anyway, if if you are curious with regards to the after effects, none of the above, apart from slight, slightly fluey, just slightly fluey this morning, and also my left arm is like as if you've been lifting weights overhead. Right. you know that kind of a feeling yeah, yeah bit a bit of when soreness and action. tenderness <laughs> when you're lifting weights like for <laughs> instance your left arm and you, you do too much that kind of a feeling but, but that too as they say that too shall pass so apart from everything else maybe a couple of tunes and
7: you're, and you're flying us.
1: Rockin'. Back after ten one eight fifty one oh four one oh six.
0: Text the Neil Brenderville show now, O eight six eight one oh four one oh six
1: red FM All right, morning Neil. I know you don't usually do many birthday requests. Well, I do a little bit more over the last year. why wouldn't you? But my mother asked me to text you. You will know Mrs. Elaine Stevens from the Everyman Theater. I certainly do. Well, she's 101 years old on Good Friday, and I know you will and I know you will know her as you mentioned her in the past. So just ahead of that, for fear that I forget on Good Friday. Happy, happy 101st birthday to the great Elaine Stevens from all the family and all those of you, all those of us that know you. And maybe Neil might give a happy 21st birthday to my middle pain in the ass daughter Amy for today. You're a brave man, Michael, or Malcolm Stokes, the postman, (laughs) calling a daughter my middle pain-in-the-ass daughter. But anyway, happy 21st, Amy, for today. She can have the 21st birthday party next year after all the madness is over. Yes, she'll have a 21st birthday party, but I wonder whether our pain-in-the-ass dad will be invited. But anyway, happy birthday, Amy. Thanks for getting in touch, Malcolm.
4: Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake
8: up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast
3: on Red FM with me, Kira Revens.
0: 104 to 106,
1: Red FM. This is the Neil Friendville Show. So, um, to our telephone lines we go, 1850 104 106 Something I touched on earlier on this morning was um, the uh, hassle that families have, particularly with smallies, not being able to get shoes. And God knows if you're smallie, and I remember it, shoes everywhere, because they just grow so fast, and they grow out of their shoes so fast. So the only option, you have two options. Um, the black market, which a Cork pediatrician says is happening in some cases. Dr. Neil Lynch has quoted in the Bonds this morning, the Bonds Hospital saying that children are wearing painfully ill-fitting shoes, having difficulty ordering new shoes online, um, and they're suffering because they're too small due to the continued closure of shoe shops. And in some cases, parents are resorting to black market arrangements, I suppose, with maybe one or two businesses that are a bit like the hairdressers, the few that are You know, taking customers and what have you. But by and large, um, it's a case of either, you know, make and do. And there's some, some, she's actually saying that young toddlers are going around with no shoes or wearing socks uh, because the shoe shops are closed or... Um, the secret black market arrangement are ordering online which is a bit of a lottery so it's interesting because I got some um, people who have shoe shops that are closed uh, to get on air this morning including Eileen Kirby who is was Kirby's imbalancolic. in fact they're 40 years in business this month so on the one hand congratulations Eileen
9: thanks Neil I appreciate and on the
1: other hand <coughs> it's tough isn't it you would think I, I have always thought that shoes and if possible clothing would be an essential for kids anyway
9: Listen, um, it's 12 months. Now, we have had a couple of months in between where we've been open, but it's totally tough on parents trying to get kids' feet measured and get the right footwear for them. I mean, it is so important that they do have the right footwear. With You know, we have to fit them. They have to get the right size. They have to get the right width. Now they're trying to do it at home with those home gauges and everything. And they're ringing us and they're saying, oh, she's 18 centimetres and her foot is 18 width And you just can't get it right. That. And way. have you a
1: lot of people calling you, desperate parents.
9: Constantly. Our phone is hopping like and saying how that even that they're podiatrists and some are saying to them, go and get an appointment as soon as you can. But we can't give it to them. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, Leo came out on prime time last night and he said three times, he said, well, yeah, children's shoes are essential. They are essential. But you can buy them online. But that is not possible.
1: But like if parents were to say, OK, and if if maybe you guys were to say also and agree with the parents, we can't measure the child's foot. You can come into the shop, but we can sell you click and collect from our shops. But you're taking a gamble on whether they'll be right or not. Would that even have worked?
9: Like we do online, we're sending stuff. We're sending shoes out all over the country, and um, because you know people go on. No, we're doing our shoe shop. I'd say we're doing seventy-five percent childrens. now. we used to have you know a, a more family shoe shop, but now children is huge with us, and. Um we find like that people are getting to us from all over the country. So we're sending online. But click and collect um, wouldn't be so bad either. Because at least if they buy something and it's wrong, they can come back with it maybe within the hour and yeah. get another size. Yeah. But that's do- doing it themselves at the same time. Yeah,
1: so there's a we bit of a gamble love. of Vovna. But there's a gamble yeah. online as well. Shoe arrives it, from Amazon or wherever. And
9: call, yeah. Absolutely, and it's fine with older children because you can just go up that size with older children and it's not too bad for the next few months. But with small kids up to three years of age, they certainly need to be measured because they can have foot problems for life from this. You know, I mean, you can have, you can, you know, this can create blisters and it can create heel problems. So for a small
1: developing foot, you can't be shoving it it into anything.
9: Yeah, and they need to change change their shoes quite often. Do you know? I mean, small kids can cha- have to change their shoes anytime between three months and well, up to three months. I know. Between so up between six weeks and three months, they can have to, might have to change their shoes.
1: I know. Yeah, and, absolutely. Three four yeah, times a year, so, without a doubt. You need more than one pair on the go.
9: You do. And our phones are constantly hopping. I have a phone in my house, and my son has a phone in his house. And between from the from our webpage, they're using both phones, and we are constantly on the phone. And it's just, it's just. You'd love to say, "My God, if children's shoes aren't essential, like they're on about the hair, and and that is essential. Everything is essential, but like children." do need to get their shoes fitted like. You
1: a know, consultant pediatrician at the Bonds is quoted as saying um, that one woman told me of her experience getting three different pairs of shoes online, sending them all back because none of them fitted. In the end, she contacted her local shoe shop and she met the lady in the car park and the lady brought along a few pairs of shoes like it was some sort of a back, black market covert deal so she could get shoes that could fit her kid.
9: I mean, isn't that just terrible that you have to go to that stage to get your child fitted? Like, people are coming on the phone to us and they're saying, look, could you just pop in? Or would you just pop out? And would you just could you just do it outside the door? Or, you know, like, we don't care. Can you come to the car? It is really sad. Like, you know, you feel so for those people. Yeah, I mean, they are it kids you know, who are
1: growing at a rate of not. Yeah, and
9: we've g- got all our summer stock in. We've got our season stock in. We're ready to go, like, we have we have all our shoes in, and you know we have we deal with all the best suppliers as well. Like and so has, we, the,
1: has moving to online helped the business? Was that something that you didn't do before?
9: Well, no. We yeah. Ian is doing online now. He's um, he's moving into the business more than me now. So he's doing the online stuff, and yeah, it is working. But it's it's working more with lady stuff and with older kids.
1: Yeah. The smallies are different altogether, without a doubt.
9: The smallies are different. They just need the personal touch and they just need to come in and be fitted properly. And you might have to take out six pairs of shoes before you get. The, the right side like, but I right can position.
1: understand why that wouldn't be allowed you see you couldn't have a shoe fitter up close and personal with you know touching and well, feeling well, and yeah, well, you know, manipulating you feet into, and stuff if you go
9: into any of the big stores you're you're walking around you're you're hitting off people there's people all over the place now we're offering what we want is for someone to come in just one to one we would have one customer in and we would have the fitter with that child when I say a customer now, you could have a mother and two children or you could even have a father and mother and two children, but you would have the fitter and both, everyone would be masked properly and you take all the precautions that you can.
1: I know, but I suppose you know? at this stage, it has been so long now, you really are looking at only another, perhaps four or five weeks before we look at non they. Call, they I don't know whether you're essential or non-essential, depends on the politician, but the click and collect for... You guys might start in May.
9: Click and collect, that's six weeks away. I mean, children should be, if they're buying shoes today, they should be changing them then again anyway. You know, like, that's that's just too long. Yeah. It's not going to work for children.
1: I think you're in there with, um, along with personal services on a staggered basis in May, which means you'll be opening when hairdressers are opening kind of thing.
9: Yeah, well, I mean, that is still... It is still at least six weeks away. Yeah, yeah, it is far too long for small children. They need to get their feet measured now. They really do. I mean, if you heard the 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 mothers on the phone and they're saying like she has blisters, like I just don't know what to do. I'm desperate.
1: Have you and, spoken you know, to parents who are who are who are who have children going around wearing just socks or no shoes?
9: They're wearing socks. Yeah, they, they're afraid to put shoes on. Well, they haven't got shoes. Like I mean, the last pair they bought could be last between September so and what November. So
1: what are they sending them to school with?
9: They're, which, which they're ringing off, like they're they're doing online. No, you see, this is another thing, because they can they can walk into the big stores and they can pick a pair up off the shelf, but they're not fitted and they're not right, and they're giving out about that as well. They're coming on to us then and saying, oh, I did pick up a pair. Where?
1: Where, has, where would they be able to pick well,
9: them up? you're able to pick them up in Tesco and... Dums and everywhere, you are. They're on. They're on the shed. They're, they're there. But they're they're not fitted
1: shoes. Oh, I see. Okay, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't mean, know you could buy them in America. Why
9: can't we do it? Like,
1: yeah, yeah.
9: You know, and we, they're all the time on the on the, the small independent shops like us that are suffering, and we just can't keep going. Do you know? I mean, we can't. We, as I said, we have our stock back in now. We have, you know, we're ready to go and. We'll, we just need our customers back, you know? And we just can't, we can't survive unless we get some help from the government, unless they, they know, you know, and even apart from us, like the parents do need the service. They totally need the service, and it has to be given back to them, do you know?
1: Gotcha, gotcha, I understand
9: 100%. And like we click and collect, even if they gave us that straight away, we could work, we could work more, at least you'd have the, customer coming to the door and you could talk to them, you could say a few words to them, do you know?
1: And what do you feel of those that are a bit like some hairdressers in the black market doing people's hair that there are some shops that are uh, you know, selling shoes well, on I mean, the QT? I mean, if
9: parents need it done um, like or you know, like if If would you send your school your child's school with a pair of shoes that are two sizes too small, or would you go out of your way to try and get a pair?
1: yeah, well, if you wouldn't do it yourself, you wouldn't do it to your child, you wouldn't no okay no, I mean,
9: can you imagine, but on... None- Pair of shoes, two sizes too small on you, and going around for the day like...
1: Forget about it. Forget it's about so it. Yeah. It's will yeah. be, be going around in flip flops instead.
9: Yeah, and children's feet are developing all the time. You know, like all the little bones in their feet are developing all the time, so they need space and they need the correct
1: fitting. Okay, I'm going to head down Middleton Way, uh, but if anybody wants to buy online from Eileen or indeed Ian, your son, it's Kirby isn't it?
9: That's right. Or they can ring us. Um, they'll find our numbers on you know on our webpage and we will talk to them and we will help them in any way we okay. can. Okay,
1: thanks, Eileen. Appreciate you taking the call. And, and uh, us happy us 40th fans. anniversary. www.kirbyshoes.ie Just quickly, down to Lollipop Kids in Middleton. Eleanor, good morning.
3: Hello,
8: Neil. Good morning. I, I suppose
1: Eileen has said a lot of it, but what would you like Please, to add?
3: I, I'll be quite honest that you said everything that I was going to say, so it saves your time. Yeah. I'll tell you, Neil, to be quite honest that yeah, I... There was a grant that came out available for the online thing, and I'm measuring children's shoes for 27 years. I'm not that old now, mind you, but anyway. I did it. Um, I feel that, you know, I've been measuring children's feet, and, and this.
1: No, I'm losing you there. Move <laughs> around, you No, not happening. Can you hear me? No, unfortunately, may well have an opportunity to come back, but we'll keep on moving, but at least she said that uh, Eileen, in fairness her, had said an awful lot what Eleanor had uh, intended to say anyway Back after the break, text 0868104106
0: Talk to Neil Printerville now,
1: eighteen fifty one zero four one zero six. Red FM And you can text 0868104106 uh, Some lovely texts coming in since uh, we came off air yesterday with regards to my chat with uh, Gareth O'Callaghan, they're just lovely, every single one of them, uh, lovely to hear Gareth O'Callaghan, I was a massive fan of his and I went to the fundraiser concert for him in Dublin and in Cork. Another one here. It's such a shame what's happening to such a lovely man. What a fantastic interview with Gareth. Regards, says Conor and Mallow. Neil, you made my day. I absolutely love Gareth O'Callaghan, and I miss him greatly on the airwaves. He has such a sweet voice to listen to, and he always cheered me up daily. Many people, many, many people miss him from our daily life, and ooh, that Sunday morning show when he used to play the best of the best oldies. May I wish Gareth easier times health-wise. He does not deserve to be suffering, says a listener in Charleville. Um, Gareth was the first person I ever heard mention the internet and what was coming down the line. Uh, on uh, 2FM on his show back in the day I saw him in the opera house for the benefit gig it was a great night says Pat Sullivan in Elm Park can you please thank, thank that man for the years of enjoyment even though he was in a dark place at the time he was taking us out of ours so thank you to Gareth he was a special man thank you so much for having Gareth on the program what a wonderful person he is I'm an avid listener his podcast you two are my favorite broadcasters um I okay, could listen to that man's voice all day. Gareth O'Callaghan is such a lovely, lovely man. So I hope he gets to hear those uh, lovely, kind words. And there are more, which I'll come back to throughout the course of the morning. So you can text 86 for that and all other business. Now, um, back to the phone lines we go. Uh, Kieran is standing by, but first up, Leo. Leo, good morning. Hi, how are you doing, Neil? Okay, so from the 12th, anyway, you know, you can move around the county.
10: That's right, yeah. No, Neil, I'm just thinking there, right? If someone is living in Yarl and they want to go to Castleton Bay for a drive. Like, Cork being the biggest county, you have loads of scope. Now, unless you have a camper or a caravan, what's your point in driving from My Myself and my wife were doing this on last year, we're taking our day trips and whatever. Yeah. You've nowhere to go to the toilet, you right down as far as Yawle, or, or down to Castleton Bay from Yawle, all you're doing is looking at trauma, turn around and going home again. Like they didn't think this out in my mind. And they well if, they if
1: if you had your way, what would you have done?
10: Try and open we can all two hundred people can fit into a supermarket. You can open up your hotels, open up your restaurants, at least people have something to do when they get to these places.
1: But like, is it not at least out. something to look forward to that at least it's not five K anymore and it's only twelve days away?
10: Yeah, and that's grand Neil, but you want people to get out. You want people to spend money. They're talking about putting 17 million into hospitality. What's the point in putting it into hospitality if half of them are going to be closed anyway? Well, the I 17
1: million will be helping them to adapt their businesses and also to buy stuff they need for outdoor dining and things like that. You know.
10: Yeah, and if we get a bad summer, that 17 million is down to swanny Look, Neil, I met I met Albert Reynolds years ago, myself and my wife at a, a function up in in Dublin. And he, the one statement he said, I asked him, my wife actually asked him about um, Cown getting, Brian Cowan getting in as the T-shirt. And he said one statement and it stuck with me forever. Any man that never ran a business, no business run the country. They,
1: yeah, they well, no there's a business, lot of politicians. There's an awful lot of politicians would fall under that remit who have never run a business. So, you know. Exactly, I
10: used... exactly but they're not talking to the people that are trying to make the money. i worked in the hospitality industry. It's a hard trade, and any money they get in, we're not getting it from outside the country. So it's all in, it's all internal. We need to try and make money. Having people been able to go, it's great. I'm living in Kinsale. We can go to we can go. Kinsale is beautiful. But people coming from outside the town, if they need if they need to go to the toilet, have nowhere to go.
1: You well, know, I, I so could say I could say you could plan for that eventuality before you leave, and uh, don't do you know, don't be driving from you to Cot Ca- to Castle Dumbair and cut short. You know, just but, take but it so handy. You're,
10: you're, you're trying to open it up. You're trying to, to spread the business around the country, around the county, even. You know, um, they want people to stay case and. Leo Farage turned around a couple of months ago. I'd say about three months ago, and said, "Oh, I booked my staycation." So, obviously, he knew something, or more of leak leaking, whatever. But if he knew he's something booked, why didn't he tell the rest of ah, us? Well, he did at the
1: time, offer? and 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 some people have been kind of looking ahead to um, maybe August or September, and they've booked holiday homes, or they're you know maybe have booked hotels in anticipation of being able or glamping and things like that for late summer and early autumn. Sure, like we definitely will be out the gap by then because it's all about vaccinating people. So that's why Michael Martin refers to it as the final stretch. You see, I suppose without wanting to be uh, engaged in government propaganda, they're saying that we're at a stage now that you like numbers are low everywhere except Dublin. The lean on the hospital is our way down as well, and we don't want that to go backwards. Yeah, but we
10: we're all on the final stretch. We're all trying to do the best you have that guy that was there from limerick he's a grandchild born before christmas yeah, that's right we can't hold a grandchild we're all stretched to the limits at this stage you know and having people coming from dublin or wherever they're coming from down to west cork like we can't leave it all on the guards and people people keep saying oh why are the army not called out the army are called out to do what they can i was in the ministry for over 20 years and You're called out, you're not getting paid for what you're doing. If you take the hourly rate of a soldier or a sailor or anyone, it's fairly bad. I know a person wouldn't get out of bed in the morning for this
1: yeah but I mean the, but a, a soldier or a sailor they, they will follow rules and they will follow orders you see
10: so. oh of course they will you've no choice that's what you sign up for
1: yeah and I joined
10: the Navy I trained the Navy at 18 years of age I was in the FCS since I was 13 like a lot of people we, we went in with false passports or whatever just yeah. to get in there yeah you know, um, I've served over 20 years in the services and you do what you're told. And look, in my point, I think every every young village will
1: get six months, a year in it anyway and it'll, it'll solve an awful lot of problems. With yeah, a me. lot of people believe that, yeah. A lot of people yeah, believe that. So can I just ask before I let you go, are you seeing any um, uh, tourists or people from outside of Kinsale with Dublin redges down that neck of the woods or anything like that?
10: Neil, I've seen... Farm registers driving around. Just foreign cars driving around the whole time. I was only talking to my son. My son's a living over in Cove, and he was saying he's seen campus with Dutch Dutch the numbers. Now, Maybe I know I know of a guy who bought a car up the north before this happened.
1: It could be some um, of those, yeah, right. yeah.
10: He was actually overseas and it's taken it's taken a long time for the VRT to be done.
1: Yeah, so he could be going around on yellow plates, I appreciate that. It could be
10: so like we can't all throw stones at someone with a yellow a yellow red car while they're waiting for the VRT to be done, which is another thing, you know, but like Foreign cars are there. I passed one the other day. There was a registration number on it. It's something like five four seven nine. Yeah, I know. I don't know what country it came
1: from. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay, listen. Thanks for that, Leo. I'm going to move on. Just been showing a sign actually, um, which is down in Union Hall. A sign seen in Union Hall last week after a holiday home was occupied by the Dublin owners and the locals weren't happy, and they put up a sign, probably very close to it, saying uh, "Dublin to Union Hall five k exclamation mark exclamation mark" and under it it says "Nice to know." you care. So somebody comes out of that holiday home, uh, they see that sign I wonder whether they'd be mortified. Mortified enough to pack up and go home? I don't know. Karen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So you're re- referencing what Adrian Cummins said, that 50% of restaurants are on the brink of collapse and bankruptcy. Yeah.
4: And
11: I, I, I know we, I was on with you a few weeks ago and it just validates the point that I was trying to make in terms of uh, the lack of government support and the lack of of the government interest into having a valid plan to reopen the economy and to support the industries that are suffering to this pandemic, and and I think he voiced it this morning, saying that you know fifty percent of those business owners may not exist in another in another eight weeks, you know. And it, and, it and actually, the that. same
1: the same could be said for 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 traditional pubs. Yeah, yeah,
11: and and again, it, it comes down to meaningful support. I mean. It's all well and good to give some some support, but if it's not meaningful, I mean, we're working against the clock here. And, you know,
12: these,
11: these industries, the, the hospitality industry, the tourism industry and the aviation industry, they need meaningful support. And if they don't get it, they won't be here. And the government needs to have a plan in place. Uh, a detailed plan in place to open up the country
1: but they've got a new 17 yeah. million euro fund for hotels and cafes and restaurants particularly to help them with outdoor dining and things yeah. um, and that's and that's a, a plan because they're anticipating obviously easing the as the independent is saying this morning easing the COVID restrictions and they want to give them some help to adapt their businesses for it whether yeah, it's how, June or July I don't know but but how, how meaningful is that and 17 I mean, million you know, like, wouldn't go well. very far sure
11: wouldn't Exactly, and this is my whole point: is that uh, are, are they just doing things like this to just to be seen to be doing something? But I mean, is it is it good enough? You know, are we still going to be having this conversation again in eight weeks' time or six months' time?
1: Well, in eight no, weeks' time, a lot day. a lot more will have happened. Like photo will be open, for instance, as an example in in the in the coming weeks, and we'll be able to eventually and like things like Dublin Zoo and heritage sites and much like that. I mean, April going to be significant in the way that uh, some construction is going back and that would be construction of uh, that would be family homes, residential construction. You're aware of that. Lots of training, yep. uh, tennis, golf, things like that. Yep. You know, yep. Funerals will so be I'm, increased to 25 and I don't think about weddings but it's yep. a question that I have. You know from the 12th of uh, April if if you say live in Cork but and many people have holiday homes in West Cork does that mean from the 12th of April that you would be able to go to your holiday home and to stay there on holiday. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
11: if you're allowed if you're, you're to travel within your county,
1: so why then aren't aren't yeah. people? So from the twelfth of April, will people be allowed to go to their mobile home and stay in a mobile home park? I don't think so. Do you? I, I don't know. I
11: don't know. Can can they actually open?
1: You know, again, the devil is in the detail
11: here. You know, the meaningful a meaningful plan of opening. You know, it, 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 for for me personally, it, it just it just the government just don't seem to have have a concrete plan, and there's always holes in the plan. You know, can we do this? Can we do? Nothing is really really clear.
1: So it's an interesting it's point to... that I think you said it was Albert Reynolds made. Is it that nobody who's never run a business should ever be in politics? That's a very interesting point, isn't it?
11: Yeah, it is a very interesting yeah. point, and, and and like what we're talking about people here, Neil. Like, that they don't get you know, it, really. Like, yeah, they do. And, and these people, you know, these 143,000 people at these jobs are, are hinging on, on, their, on the government's decision. These people voted for, for, for government. You know, and the government need to understand that. That if, if you're not going to help people in, in a correct manner and support their industries and support their businesses, particularly now when, when everybody needs it.
1: Yeah, you're in aviation. So, you're, you're a pilot. How do yeah. you look, how do you see your industry when you come back? You're probably flying anyway, are you? Just but with reduced? No, 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 nothing. No, no. no. Personally, I'm not
11: flying. I mean, there's a, there's a huge lack of of flying. Um, we we can't you Neil. Know, like the, the the restrictions put on on the aviation in the aviation industry, it, it, it's essentially almost shut it down. And and you know, airlines and airline workers and airport workers and anyone involved in the aviation industry and it bleeds down into the hospitality and tourism industry as well.
1: But isn't it true that when we get out of this that everybody will be going on airplanes? Everybody in maybe perhaps August and September will be looking for holiday breaks overseas, won't they?
11: (laughs) They will, Neil, but but the thing is will will the airplanes be there? We're already seeing uh, airlines moving aircraft out of Ireland. Now, that might seem, oh, so we can get them back, but it's not something that just happens overnight. These these airplanes are, are assets to this country, and and they're very very expensive. And businesses like airlines, when they they're very mobile machines, you can, you know, they're moving to the UK mainly at the moment. But
1: yeah, but airlines are businesses the at the end of the day; they will go where the right? business is.
11: Exactly. Now, my point is right: these airlines are suffering. In, in, a, in a big way. Now, when these assets move out of this country, and they're supporting this, the, the, a lot of these industries in this country, once they move, they're gone. And you're not gonna get them back for a long time. So the recovery of the Irish economy is gonna suffer as a result. Yeah. And this is what I mean about meaningful aid from the government and having a plan a concrete plan to open up the country and the government are silent over this
1: and you know what travel say for instance with regards for let let you go uh, overseas travel on an airplane do you think that will be tied into a vaccine passport or do you have any thoughts yes, on the, that?
11: Yeah well the EU currently have a plan for a, a digital passport and the passport you know the information on the passport will say whether or not you've been vaccinated whether you had COVID-19 and have recovered um and, and it's transparent, you know, and it needs to be a, a, adopted. And and it's a safe way of opening. And, and you know, we're all in favour of doing these things safely. Yeah. Now, but but again, we're running against the clock here, Neil. In eight weeks, you will see a lot of restaurant owners going bankrupt.
12: Yeah, okay.
11: okay. With 17 million, is that meaningful to keep these people open when we do need them later on in the summer? If we don't get a summer... Certainly, airlines and, and restaurants and, and pubs and stuff—they will never open again. But if we're given meaningful support to be able to pay the rents, to be able to pay leases on airplanes, to be able to, you know, keep the keep the lights on, and then once once we start to recover, at least we have all these assets in this country. They'll to still
1: that. be here to use them. I know what you're They'll saying. Yeah, okay. but
11: but, work, but the government are giving them away, and and you see a lot of a lot of a lot of construction workers and and hospitality workers are, are going into other industries. I'm going abroad to
1: work. Well, they have. And I mean, I imagine that yeah. there's people who are in hospitality have got other jobs, and probably not necessarily better jobs, but better, better, better times for work. You know, they don't have very late nights or early mornings or cleanups, or you know, they probably have more enjoyable work in that regard.
11: And and, and the other thing is.
1: The government are not
11: giving meaningful support. They don't have a plan. And you're pushing all these jobs and these, these people yeah, we, out of this country. And then how are we going to recover from But August? we do
1: have a plan. April 12th, April 19th, April 26th. Um, and I, then the I, potential changes from May, June and August, July and August. Yeah.
11: But a plan to keep these businesses open. Okay. Okay. I plan to keep the lights on. as what I'm talking about. Okay.
1: Thanks, Kieran. As always, much obliged. to safe flying when you get back there in the sky. Uh, back after the break. Text O eight six eight one zero four one zero six.
0: This is the Neil Prenderville show. Tweet the show at
1: Neil Red FM one zero four to one zero six Red FM. So I was mentioning earlier on there that uh, the Echo this morning has quotes from Chief Superintendent Con Cadigan advising holiday home owners not to travel to West Cork or certainly his patch in West Cork, and I suppose to another extent, also. A imagine across the border and uh, also to east this bank holiday weekend because there are no changes that will allow people to go to their holiday homes uh, this weekend and there'll be lots more patrols out there, they're saying, ahead of the weekend and over the weekend and they will be targeting uh, West Cork in particular and holiday homes, which leads me to believe that they will actually be calling to holiday homes if the lights are on or if people have cars parked outside. Somebody's got an issue with me and D-regs. What's the thing about Dublin registered cars, Neil? I drive a D-reg but I'm not from Dublin. Unfortunately some of us have to buy secondhand cars, you see. Now when I drive around Cork, I'll be conscious of my car and the D-reg and people looking at you. Good point and, and well made and I appreciate that. Fiannail councillor, Joe Cavanagh. Joe, good morning. Uh, good morning you just neil. you just tweeted there um, that um gardi should be vaccinated as a matter of priority and not wage it's changed now to to age groups hasn't it yeah well
13: look look neil i, I mean the Gardaí, and we really shouldn't even be having this conversation, in my opinion, because I think the Gardaí should have been vaccinated months ago. You know, obviously the frontline uh, medical staff, doctors, nurses, people working on the frontline from a medical perspective, um, you know, the, the medically vulnerable, um, the over 80s, the over 70s. That is all key priority people, and they're the key cohorts that needed to be vaccinated after that after that mail, um, you know the Gardaí are out there 24-7 putting themselves on the line in vulnerable situations and they don't really know from minute to minute what kind of a position who they're going to meet what kind of a situation they're going to get into whether they're going to meet somebody who is COVID infected or whatever. Yeah. They need to be protected. And they're out there protecting you and me, you know, on a day-to-day basis. The or
1: Association kind of Garda Sergeants you. and Inspectors has said that this change to an age-based system shows scant regard for the welfare of Garda uh, and members of the force. They said it was an absolute disgrace.
13: Yeah, well look, obviously the association is going to stand up for their members, but I mean as Lord Mayor and as a public representative and as a community man first and foremost, uh, Neil, Mm -hmm. I mean I deal with the Gardaí on a daily basis and I know a a lot of Gardaí on a personal basis, they're decent, hard-working, conscientious people with families who are putting themselves out on the front line to protect society on a daily basis. They're protecting us, we have a duty to protect them.
1: So their, ha- their job is hands-on and it is up close and personal, without a doubt. Correct. But this, Absolutely. of course, this change now, which focuses on age now, an age-based system, rather than priority groups, that's the Gardaí, it e, but like it's like also teachers, isn't
13: it? It was always like that, Nate. You know, and it's just, this, they've just clarified it, I think, as far as I can see. I mean, <laughs> there was something like 10 or 11 cohorts based on age at the very start. And um, obviously you had the they prioritized at the very start the, the the most vulnerable in society, which is correct, and nobody is arguing with that. But um, I just think it has been the guardy have been somewhat overlooked, um, and they should not be included in an age. In my opinion, in an age, they should uh, be prioritised. Would you, uh, you, should, you? Oh, absolutely! I mean, I I I've yet to be I, someone has to convince me that they're not a a priority frontline. Uh, service for, for society as a whole. And you know, and I know, and you deal with stuff on a daily basis in your show, Neil, uh, as a local radio show, and you have a very popular talk show, and people will ring you with their issues on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And in a lot of, in more than most situations, you will have, the guardie have been involved being called to certain
1: situations. They have to go into so domestic so situations indoors, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. Right across the board. You yeah. know? Yeah, You don't so mention teachers, though. I've mentioned here. teachers a few times to you. You're not picking up on it because the ASTI says that the change is extremely concerning. The who, sorry? Teachers. I mean, would you not regard the them teachers, as being yes, just as course, frontline yes. as a guard?
13: Well, the teachers, yes, of course. Um,
1: and te-
13: especially teachers, uh, the SNAs, who would be teaching children with special needs and so on. Um but, but, yes, they would be frontline. but I'm focusing purely on the guards at the moment. I mean, there's loads of different sectors. We could talk all morning about all the various sectors who should be prioritised in terms of vaccination. Okay. And a number of months ago, you know, I was asked about what's my opinion on the forthcoming vaccination implementation programme because at the time they were setting up City Hall here. And I said, you're going to have two major problems with the vaccination programme. Number one, the speed of vaccines coming into the country. And number two... <coughs> The various cohorts that will argue that you should get vaccinated before somebody else—that has come obviously to fruition. And uh, what so is, we just need to be very clear okay. as to what is a real priority in society. But what in is the, the
1: situation state. with that tented area outside City <clears throat> Hall? Because the vaccinations are happening in Parky creef What is that? Use, what will that be used for?
13: That's going to be used for as a mass vaccination centre, and it's as far as I know within the next two, within the next two weeks. Uh, it's going to start. Uh, I know there's activity down there at the moment, but this is eight weeks later, PJ. Neil. Or sorry, PJ. My sorry, Neil. Sorry, my apologies. So you're saying that Neil, it will ha- um, it
1: will be used for mass vaccine vaccinations in the coming yes. weeks when we have more vaccines? Yes. Okay.
13: Yes. Okay. And that, that's what I, I, I've asked the question on a weekly basis now at this stage, and I've been I've been uh, informed that it will be used and at least kick started within the next two weeks, okay,
1: listen just before I let you go as Lord yeah. Mayor, and you know that Miha Martin was talking last week about i don't know something change out of five hundred million being given to Cork to develop the city and the port area and everything um can I ask you because we have the we will also have the building of the tallest building in Ireland with a huge big hotel yeah. and lots more people ideally living in the city, but probably in apartment blocks right Wait, mm. if I have to, if I were to ask you how would you des- how will how would you describe what Cork City will look like? say, in 10 years' time? In
13: 10 years' time, it'll be totally transformed. Um, The Docklands area in particular, our skyline will will be completely transformed. And we're trying to encourage, uh, Neil, uh, the the concept of living in the city, breathing life into our city, uh, having a a, a healthy mix of people living here, working here, you know, and, you know, operating an effective, sustainable transport system in the city, um, and like our population is growing dramatically, and by 2050 we hope to be up to around um, half a million.
1: Will they be we living in, in in tall high rise apartment blocks, or is there a plan to look really at living? There are many many businesses, of course, where the upstairs of them, all these businesses, are vacant. Is that in the is that in the plan as well?
13: Yeah, uh, That's a very good point, very good point, Neil. And it's something that is being discussed uh, at a planning level here. And the campaign for living above the shop is an ongoing, and it's a living, breeding strategy that we're operating here in the city, trying to get people to live in the city, live above the shop. Also living in places like down around the marina, down on the new Docklands development, etc. you know. So there's plenty of uh, opportunities there. Uh, and I suppose people don't want to be kind of going 10, 15 miles outside the city and if they have an opportunity, especially the young single professionals that are be coming into the city to work in a lot of these um, hubs, uh, business offices, etc. Yeah. In, 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 in the new city development, you know. They
1: would be happier to live maybe in apartment settings and free, free up housing stock for others then perhaps as well.
13: Yes, yeah. A healthy balance of both would be very would would, would equal a very healthy city, in, in my opinion. Okay, uh, so Neil. exciting
1: times ahead. You don't, I know, I'm catching on the hoof here, but you don't know what the story is with the convention center and the concert hall. Is 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 that all mothballed now, or do you think convention will, center? Yeah or the concert hall what concert hall on South Main Street you know the BAM project oh, sorry the convention yeah. centre yeah, yeah.
13: that's so that's, oh, that's very, very much uh, in, the, in the pipeline it's currently being discussed there's uh, a couple of stakeholders in that you've got Light Nation you've got BAM you've got Cork City Council and there's continuing uh, ongoing discussions between the various parties and the government uh, so it's, it's just literally tying up the final, the loose ends that need to be so tied. what I'm saying is you, you know? still
1: see it happening and coming to fruition built and opened
13: a question I've asked and it's a very good question, Neil, and thank you for asking it. I mean, at the end of the day, I've asked that question on countless occasions and I've been assured yes. The answer is yes uh, by by ministers and by officials in here that the plans are ongoing for this and it's very much an ongoing project that we really do need to deliver, not just for Cork, but for the southern region.
1: Good stuff. Lord Mayor, thanks for taking the call. Do appreciate it. Have a good day today. Anytime, Neil. Thank you. Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Joe Cavanaugh. Text 0868104106. I'm going to just stay with phone lines ahead of the 11 o'clock, so I get a call on the air and a few texts as well. Thomas. Hello. Now, Thomas is a 20-year-old law student. Uh, you wanted to pick up on travel and vaccine passports from my call earlier on with Kieran the pilot. Go ahead.
14: Yes, I don't argue that um, students should be vaccinated before the old people, or teachers, or guards. Um, I think all that is valid. But I think um, this argument about a vaccine passport is kind of, I think it's very dangerous. Why? Because, I'm sure young people, we're no risk the virus is no risk to us why should we have to wait for a vaccine to go on planes or if we do could we apply for a vaccine to go on holiday I think pushing us out to get a vaccine is
1: very concerning so from a young person's point of view say in your case a 20 year old law student you're so far down the list if it's age if it's an age requirement that you mightn't get on a plane this year at all yes yes and a friend of mine did this vaccine calculator online I
14: don't know how if it's government certified or not in uh, disclaimer but it said that a horror vaccine is due September twenty 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 two.
1: 2022 yeah I know I, I, I mean I did that calculator I don't know how accurate it is but I did it as well and it did come in years ahead so I don't it, know whether it's accurate or not you know
14: I think yes the old people should be vaccinated yes the guards yes teachers before the young people I completely get that but college students are we going to college next September or are we staying at home because we're at the moment we're trapped at home and everyone says that and that's valid completely valid but I think college students is even worse for because I'm in a full on hard course it's very hard but you're sitting down at a computer all day and it's sunny days out now you're
1: not going going to you're not going to house parties or lofting beer in the lock no exactly no no no. so there's nothing to them I'm at home
14: my parents my parents now they're very old so I'm going to stay in and all that but I think college students there needs to be a plan and there is a plan for opening and I heard all that for all that but there's no real plan are we getting back to college or not I've asked my lecturers and they don't even know they say at the
1: moment it's looking like half on half off some are saying it's going to be completely off no one knows are you paying for accommodation in Cork that you're not using I wonder no 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 I had a deposit down but
14: I got it backed in because of cold. yeah I know
1: I know I know you see everyone is a stakeholder in this going forward and students amongst them I appreciate what you're saying but you also have the added unknown as to whether you're actually even going back to college this year, or whether it'll be remote.
14: Yes, and I, I can't uh, get past the fact that, you know, COVID actually was good in fairness for me. Like, the exams are online, or are at home. There is benefit, I have, there has been benefits too. But I think with this vaccine passports, I think 20 euros to 25 euros, 20 euros to 30, whatever it is size they should have the option of going abroad
1: without the vaccine. Okay, thanks for that. Let's see what others feel about it. Have yourselves a good day. Thank you for that. Much obliged to you, Thomas. Email, looking at the government's decision to give vaccinations based on age and medical considerations, in my opinion, we are back on course. However, the teachers, representatives and other groups representing them have only themselves to blame. Teachers say that they spend their days in close proximity to students, but so do guardi, so do cashiers in grocery stores, so do people stocking the shelves. Who should be vaccinated next, the milkman or the breadman? As Mahatma Gandhi said, a nation's greatness is measured by how it treats its weakest members. Love the show and stay safe. Happy to read that out. Um, and there are many other texts and emails, particularly over the last couple of days when we were talking with people who have issues regarding access, maintenance, visitation rights handed down by the courts. So I hope to have a look at some of those emails and texts as well just after 11 this morning. But for now, back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show
0: now, 1850-104-106, Red FM.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting text here, just picking up on a point I was making. You know when after the 12th you can go anywhere in County Cork? Is that just for to clear your head for a bit of exercise or a drive or a bit of a walk? Or can you stay if you have a say, for instance, a holiday home, uh, you could you could stay down there and come and go. So I need to clarify that because the devil's in the detail. A text here says, I would say they definitely are not open on the 12th. They were very clear. You can travel in your county for exercise and recreation. If they meant for holiday parks to open, they would have said that by opening these mobile home parks they would cause people to socialize again. So it makes zero sense to open mobile homes. No, I wasn't. Thank you. But I wasn't talking about mobile homes. I know that mobile home operators were told to close and they're not reopening so people can't go to their mobile home east or west. But I was talking about holiday homes where people who were uh, lucky enough to have a house in West Cork or whatever could come and go from there. That was the point I was making. Uh, morning, there are two pubs open in our town and they never even closed. One of them is a restaurant, the other is just a public house. Everyone knows, even the guards. They have CCTV outside their premises. So when the guardie do call, they know the guardie are outside. They choose the people to be left in. I've seen them with my own eyes. Don't give up my details. I read that a few times, wondering, trying to make more sense out of it. I'm I'm not, I'm I'm not saying that what you're saying isn't true. I, I believe what you're saying, but I just can't understand. If they have CCTV outside the premises, so when the guards call, they know they're outside, what happens next? The guards knock on the door. There are people inside. What do they do? Like do they give them all a saw or do they give them a paintbrush or give them a screwdriver and hide the points and say they're doing essential work, renovation work or what like i mean how do, how does that work? I mean if the guards even know, why would the guards not close them down or find them? but anyway, apparently one pub and one restaurant that never ever closed. Lines open one fifty, one hundred four, one hundred six. What's uh, what is there to be positive about? As you're suggesting, uh, what's there to be positive about? Vaccine rollout is dire. Me, Martin is dire. Full stop. If you're not a child or involved in GAA, yesterday's announcement means nothing. Red FM clearly looking for more money off the government. Following the government line, I am not. I mean, I don't know how anybody could accuse me of following the government line when I've gone out of my way so often to try. And- not necessarily do the opposite, but to try and question everything that they're saying. Uh, anyway, keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. And a very happy birthday to a good friend of mine and good friend of many people in Cork, the one and only Tom McCarthy in New York City. He's got the Long Acre Tavern, he's got Smithfield Hall, and it is his birthday today. And I know he will hear this request because he listens to the show on podcast every afternoon, New York Times. So happy birthday for today, Tom, from all of us that know you.
15: Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift
0: at home big hits loads of fun features and traffic info what more could you need join me weekdays from 4 Dave Max Drive Emerald Music Station of the Year.
1: You're on Cork's Red FM. Text 0868104106 um, and quite an amount of texts on different topics. If I could just take some time just to do a few of them. and uh, We were talking about the Street Angels and if you want to donate to the work that Street Angels do, you can contact them. Streetangelscork at gmail.com They have a 92-year-old woman called Bina Reardon in Kenturk and at the age of 92, she still makes up parcels for street angels and in fairness to them, and a big response to yesterday's conversation uh, with Lisa on air, who's pregnant and homeless and is in need of treatment and needs to turn her knife around. Now we have not; we have an awful lot of different people in professional situations now who will be helping uh, with Lisa, and I will update you in regards to that uh, throughout the course of the morning. Hopefully, uh, with regards to the services that will be available to her, she's three months pregnant. Spoke to her on the air yesterday morning. Stacy says this is so sad. I hope she gets help and I hope she stops using. She's on methadone now and uh, and hopefully that's a step in the right direction. Anyway, she says people shouldn't be looking down on her because she's pregnant. At least she is trying to get help unlike other people that keep using and don't care at all about their unborn baby. The girl is obviously screaming for help. These are some texts from Facebook. Um No one can point the finger. That girl is somebody's child. Addiction can happen to anyone. May God mind her and her baby and I hope she gets the help she needs. Anne says, I hope the fact you were highlighting her predicament gets her the help and support she needs. How many more are out there being ignored by this state during this global pandemic in particular? Her story is a heartbreaking one. If you weren't listening yesterday and missed it, you'll get it on a podcast. You'd feel sorry that she's homeless, but knowing she's pregnant and still using drugs is sick and affecting the unborn baby. There are so many people out there trying to have babies and they can't. It's very unfair. Some don't deserve children. I hope that little unborn gets the care it should when it is born. Thank you for that, Shelley. I don't agree with you. Uh, you're entitled to your opinion. Um, at the moment in time when I was talking to Lisa, she was on methadone. And hopefully we'll continue with that for as short a period as possible and be weaned off that. And also, I know it was only Tuesday, but her last drink was on Sunday. So hopefully today now she's another day down the road without drinking. Um, Appreciate what you're saying. I mean, I think saying it's unfair on people who want to have children and can't have children. Um, But Shelley, I think Lisa wants to change her life, not just for her, but for her unborn baby as well. And we should be given support. Three months pregnant, still using drugs that are affecting her unborn child. I do feel sorry for her, but the fact is she's still taking drugs and that is disgusting. Lianne says, these comments just prove that addiction still isn't understood in this country. This woman is addicted and homeless, two very vulnerable positions to be in. And now she wants to help herself and her baby without being judged and slandered by people. If only some people were as quick to provide help and support as they are to judge and criticize. Well said, Lianne, well said. Thank you for that. And I won't take sides in this, but I want to be compassionate towards uh, Lisa And hopefully uh, the coming days and weeks and months will be life changing for her. So I'll come back to all of those and lots more besides. But I'm conscious of uh, John standing by, Eta standing by. First up, Karen. Karen, good morning.
8: Hi, Neil. How are you doing? I'm
1: well. Now, we were talking earlier on about the change to the vaccine rollout, which involves it being age appropriate now as opposed to frontline or essential or issues like that. We were talking about Gardee, but you're a primary school teacher. So what do you make of all of this change?
8: Um, I suppose, first of all, Neil, Like, absolutely, I think the importance of the elderly and vulnerable getting vaccinated. And and I hate that it has actually come to who deserves it more or who's more essential than the other. You know, it's a really sad situation, I think. But I suppose when you look at our minister talking about how essential it is for kids to get back to school and education is so important and it absolutely is, and I suppose I don't know any teacher, friends of mine, colleagues of mine that were dying to get back to school. We all know the struggles of remote teaching and learning at home with their own kids. But I just feel like some, when you hear some of the comments, oh, like here, the teachers are off again, you know, or the guards or whatever, it's it, it's kind of wrong. Like, I don't think people understand the reality of the classroom. You know, I, you know, we get a hard time for, oh, your holidays and all of that. Actually, when we walk into the classroom, you're dealing with up to 30 children. I have first class. This year in particular, I have huge amount of needs in my class. I've you're back, so, kids.
1: aren't you? You're back at school?
8: We're back. Yeah, okay. yeah I'm back. Okay. Yeah, I'm back. I'm delighted to be back, Neil. I absolutely love my pupils and they they needed to be back. And I personally... You know, for my own mental health, I needed to get back as well. You know, it was really hard, and I and I totally understand parents working from home and trying to do the bit of schoolwork and all that. It was just extremely challenging. And
1: did all the kids come back? Do you do you know or can you say? Oh,
8: they did. Yeah, in our school, they they yeah, they did. Okay. They did. So you have thirty-seven
1: year olds. For six or seven hours a day, at least, would you? That kind of thing?
8: Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I have three with autism. Now, it's unusual, I suppose, but I'm teaching 16 years. But this year, I have three with autism and I have another two children with additional needs as well. So I people think, oh, you know, it's safe. The kids, the kids are in carriers and all of that. But actually, when you bring that number of people into one room, and yes we open the windows we're sanitizing we're trying to keep them in their pods but like you try and tell you know a child maybe with autism who's very tactile like don't be touching other people's belongings or don't be you know mm. they're up on my they're up on my desk they want to sit in your lap you know and it's
1: like really you're not and you <laughs> are intervening you're not, as you said in your text you're not hiding behind the desk
8: absolutely not like I mean they have to learn and they have like I I do a lot of well-being every morning like we come in I'm actually training as a play therapist as well at the moment but we come in and we do 20 minutes of just meditation or yoga or whatever it is just to get everyone settled and then try to set them up for learning but like they have to, learning has to go on, and we're doing grouped reading activities. We're we're trying to make things like the younger children need the hands on activities, and even though I suppose we we like I have say four or five groups now, and you're you're meant to be trying to keep them in their pod. Mm. Like it's it's really really challenging, and you know they're sharing pencils. They're like sneezing. They're like you know as much as you can. There's so much hand washing, so much time spent on that.
1: But they're they're saying but they're saying that uh, primary schools and I suppose to a large extent schools aren't aren't transmitting the virus certainly not in Cork anyway small like, no, yeah, numbers we have you know
8: but at the same time I suppose like I'm not just working with the thirty children I am actually working with an SNA in my room and I have like with that number of children with with additional needs a couple of resource teachers working with me as well like so. I mean you're not in your room in a little box where you're you're only meeting the kids like you're on yard duty there you're dealing with some of the older kids like so I just feel like and it it is unbelievably hard to go into work I have that many kids in my class right a lot of the teachers are wearing double masks at the moment like can you imagine trying to project your voice up to 30 kids plus adults in the room like it's here's the the deal at the end of the day
1: right here's the deal are teachers and Gardaí deemed frontline services are they they the same as medics
6: no Uh, like in
8: fairness I mean I don't think anyone could could, uh, you know undervalue the work that has been done by no I'm talking um,
1: about with regards to vaccinating are they as essential as them to be vaccinated.
8: Well, I, I don't know is that a fair question? Are we as essential as doctors? I mean, they're dealing with people who actually have the vaccine. I suppose all Virus. all I want yeah. is to be able to go back to school, get back to normal as, as normal as possible because it does impact the children. Like you're there with two masks on your face. Some people wear visors as well. You're constantly washing hands. Like you're you're, mar- you're marking their work, and then you're going straight over to the sink. Yeah, it okay. it's just. Putting okay. the atmosphere it's it's really affecting
1: and you won't you're not in a position to tell me before you go as to whether with everything that the Smallies went through in the in the last year whether they've gone back or whether they're thriving or moving forward because you didn't have that class last year i suppose you can't compare and contrast can you
8: no I don't but I suppose I'm teaching a long time and i like i suppose the gaps will be made up you know what i mean there there's there's gaps
1: but even time so time i to- understand the educationally but socially how are they?
8: Socially, look, they're absolutely delighted. A lot of them, I have a few children like say, um, only ch- only children in my class will say just one child uh, in the family and like it has been unbelievable for them. They, socially, they are absolutely delighted. They you love
12: being working. with them their pals. In the
8: yard yeah. And you hear the little laugh and they're having great fun and that's what I wanted to get back to. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. That like you can you can balance the the work and, what, and pushing them to the best of their ability with having that fun time. And a lot of teachers are bringing them out additional PE, additional playtime outside. That's if the weather's with us, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah which yeah. often it's not. But um, I just wanted to kind of put it out no, there that actually, you. you know, so um, just food for thought for people that might think that, we're, we're hiding behind
1: our desks. It certainly is not the case. Thank you. I'll let no. you get back to it. Thanks, Thanks for taking please. the call. Thank Much you. obliged. Uh, thank you, Karen, primary school teacher teaching uh, little seven-year-olds. First class, I think. Text 0868104106. Back after the break.
0: Text the Neil Brenderville Show now.
1: 086 Red FM. Uh, from my conversation yesterday with Lisa, can I just say that uh, we are endeavouring and there are people helping to get uh, Lisa a place in uh, a rehabilitation center not short term but a longer term rehab stay and ideally then with step down afterwards so I'll keep you uh, posted on that when I get some more information on it and fairness Hemer has been doing a lot of work on that and Brenda too um, one text here says people need to be educated on addiction some people are so closed mind minded it makes me so angry I myself grew up with parents with addiction. And it's so horrible that people feel the need to take the time to put people down. Lisa knows she did wrong and doesn't need a reminder from uneducated, close-minded people who don't have a clue. Well, in spite of um, those that are negative, uh, let, us, uh, let us continue with our endeavors to do the best we can for Lisa to give her an opportunity to change uh, and to improve. And then the rest of it really is up to Lisa. But you you can't stop trying, you know, you really can't. And that goes for the rest of us. So, you know, we can't stop trying to help as well. So lots of texts on that. Mind you, I know that uh, last year I, I spoke to uh, Niamh Hassett about the passing of her brother David and I have uh, an update on that with regards to uh, Niamh's sister Ita, who joins me by phone now and hopefully was listening to Lisa's situation yesterday on air. Eita, good morning.
8: Good morning, Niamh.
1: Um, And of course, for those that didn't hear it, uh, Lisa is three months pregnant. And uh, although I couldn't go into it with her on air because of family law courts, she has other children in in care and what have you. Um, But she's in a situation where she's just had enough of 20 years on our streets. Um, Did you hear that conversation?
3: I did. I was out for my walk, Neil. When um, I go for my walk, I have my pods and I miss to every morning. Right, okay. But yeah, I did hear the conversation, yeah. And um, it just now you broke my heart because it, well, it just brought up a lot of emotions in myself as well. You know, I could identify, you know, to a certain point with her story. Yeah. But um yeah. I, yeah.
1: Because with um, regards to David, who was a wonderful, wonderful brother and a very lovely guy, and many people have said that about him, uh, who passed away and, and died at the age of 38. Yes. Um, Lisa was saying over and over again, and others yesterday were saying over and over again, that every single person that we look at as we walk by, there is a story and a life in there.
3: Yeah, this is it. And like I, as I said, I sent it in the emails you. I didn't expect to you coming on, on, on air, but... I was just, sometimes I just get so, it's just so sad to think that, you know, they didn't ask to be there and she didn't ask to be there. And I really do hope she gets the help. But I know, remember in David's situation, as you say, behind every person, you know, we grew up and my parents always told us, have respect, never look down on anybody. You never know what's behind anybody's story. Never judge book by the cover yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And you know what? It's so much, it comes into life. It's so sad. People don't realize, that, like there's people ringing in yesterday and saying, you know, oh she deserves what she got, blah blah blah. She decides to take the drugs and everything. Dave never started off like that. Dave was a happy go looking child and grew the same as anybody else. But, you know, addiction like it is a sickness and illness and and there was times that I'd say like, you know, different emotions and also kinda of things 'cause you just get his life together. That was your reaction at the start and everything. But, you know, you realise like it's just they, they're human beings, and it's yeah,
1: a and uh, and also like, they, many of them would wish to change. Otherwise, they wouldn't be trying and failing.
3: Of course, they wish to change, and I suppose I'm also thinking of Lisa, like David has a nineteen-year-old son, and he was so like he had him young enough; he's about twenty-two, I think, when he had him. But um, his, when his partner had him, and like he idolised that child, he still. Don't, right, obviously, still you know, do, does, and that's all. still idolises him, and he knows, he knows what he went through, you know, to a certain point. But like, you know, people it could just be so they're so quick to judge. Like, just you know, just be. Kind, why be is nice Lisa? Why
1: people. is Lisa or anybody, but Lisa in particular? Because I was talking about a story who was three months pregnant. Why yeah. does she have to leave Simon at seven in the morning and be out all day in all weather? Yeah, and not able it's to get. I mean. Uh, am I criticising Simon? Perhaps I am. No,
3: I, I, I no. And I mean, I can't criticise Simon because they did everything. They were so good to David, and we, we still go on fundraising in his name and try to have virtual coffee mornings or whatever at the moment. But I couldn't criticise them, but I know where you're coming from. And also, my I can see her point yesterday as well when she was saying about treatment. They, you know, there for a while they were saying you have to be clean, you have to be for a few weeks or whatever. Like, they need the help. How could they be clean they, if they're trying to get into a treatment place? But I'm, I'm so delighted to think that she might get along treatment because they also need all that. There's so much involved behind because there's all the problems. You know, there, there could be, it's obviously you know, mental problems and things like that and
12: yeah, you
3: know yeah, yeah. behind all this thing and they just need the help and I just really do hope she gets the help. In fairness David tried to get the help and when he did ask to get the help we got him into so many different places and it's just it just didn't work out for him obviously but uh, awesome. you know, it's just so hard like people just you know, I just feel Behind every person there's a story. There's a mum. My, my mother and father did everything they could for them. we as a family we just we were just broken from it. But like, you know, they have to remember that they're not just sitting there or whatever. there's nowhere to stay sometimes, you know. They just like nobody has to get to that situation. I mean we're so I'm so lucky, I have a lovely home family, whatever and kids and you know, that sort of thing. But who knows how many people are going to turn out? Nobody knows. So just when people are ringing in and judging, I just get so mad about it.
1: So when they find themselves alone, is that because their relationship, their family, has just broken down, well, it's, it's yeah, irreparable. I think
3: that's what happens, and um, a lot of relationships did break down, I mean David was, he was so, you have no idea he was, a people, he was such a people's person he was brilliant customer service, he worked in tile places and he worked in carpet faces, and he set up everybody, people still tell me stories about him, yeah. but obviously the addiction took over, that's yeah. what happened the yeah. addiction did take over, yeah. and relationships break down, and you know broke down, between, you know, so um, like, if, if they can get a bit smaller, but he never got very abusive. But they, he's a different person when he was fatiguing. Stuff, you know. I know. I They're a different personality and, you know, it's just too much for mum and dad in the end. So like we were all we never turned our back on him and um, as it turns out actually my sister you had my sister out there, I don't know, back in August. But we both went to different people facing this and that and they did I did get a bit of relief because when I did go to the he says she just tried to tell you that he's at peace now and not ever feel guilty because we always had excuses so we didn't do enough for him, and I know my mother always did things that a straight.
1: And did you get a lot of comfort from the faith healer then, yeah?
3: I did because well, I just to be honest, I never like I was I would not it but I never went to one. But I was in a friend's house down at Valley um, and and we were she was going and I saw my go whatever but I thought What I he tells me this and that and I didn't no I didn't even think to be honest that he would say anything about David or anything but he they the me so many things about my grandmother um, that I was very close to and then he also said about David that David like was in a meant that his head was all oh, this. He's saying my head was all over the place, and you know he was very really stuck and things like that. And obviously he had mental torture. But she said she just wants to tell you now. She just wants to tell you that he's at peace and that he knows you did everything for him.
1: And was that all, just? I know this is a slightly off conversation, yeah. but was this all no, unprompted, or was this information that you might have given in advance? No, no,
3: nothing, nothing, nothing. And there was no way the person could have known. that like, if you even asked his name, I would, I wouldn't say it. But I can't remember. Not yeah, but no I just went in totally blank he couldn't have not like I mean I was out I was out for a weekend in yeah. and I was right in the back of my hairdresser and this is what he this person and I came out but I think it's art it's when you go back over things that you just realize when you think back on different things but it made so much I just knew whatever way he said things Yeah, you know we got a bit of relief and I was just so delighted to even go back I wasn't going to tell my mother straight away because it just got a bit raw at the time Yeah. But you know, I like I know I'm probably gone off the subject. No, it's long, me actually. Know,
1: I I was just no, curious no, I know, to, yeah. Like, sometimes I mean, you hear you know, about faith healers and you wonder.
3: Yeah, and you, and it give you a relief when you go, I mean, as you know, grief will come and leave, and like yesterday, now it really came. You know, certain things which you know, I mean, I would be very. It would be a subject, so I'd be very obviously... Well, earlier in
1: the week, of course, exactly. and back into last week, we were talking about the sad death of Leon on the streets, and before yeah, that, a yeah. few years previous that, his brother. Exactly. But a, a wonderful man, like a loved, loved you man see, is, in and, the throes of addiction.
3: Thing, and, yeah, and I remember when we heard, you know, obviously the day that he did actually die, obviously it was on the news, every the person, another person, you know, dead on the streets or whatever, which does come up. But like, they're not... They're not a number. They're human beings. You know, and I suppose people don't realise that and I can realise it more now because it's close to home. And I'm not blaming anybody but I'm just saying people think before they say things because they're hurting so many people out there. The families have gone through you know, it, it can come to anyone's door. Okay. And okay. I hope it never comes to people's door, but you know, that is just...
1: Just park, just, park being yeah, judgmental. Just, yeah,
3: okay. Exactly, yeah. All and right. I just hope, I would just hope that Lisa can... And actually, when I came off the foot, when I came home, when I came, home, when I came back after my walk, I actually got on to... I keep saying I was do something because I worked job-sharing party. Um, I actually emailed Street agents. So I just think they're fantastic. And I'm hoping that I'd be able to help out in any way if I can help, you know, with the... I have no problem helping well, out.
1: Well, there you go. Go and make yeah, it happen.
3: exactly. Just to feel you could do something. Else. Okay,
1: well, listen, kind regards um, to you and all of the Hassett do, family. Do
3: you mind if I just read out this? I just wrote this little ditty about for his anniversary last year. Do you mind if I just read Is it out? it for, for David's
1: anniversary, yeah?
3: Yeah. When yes. He'll be, be two years on the 29th paper, okay. but yeah. last year I just wrote it out. Just. Yeah. As a child, you had a smile on my face. You put a smile on my face. You held my hand going from place to place. Struggling with life as you got older, your addiction got too much to shoulder. There were times you might think we didn't care, but as a family, we were always there. Every day I still hear your laughter. I I pray every day you found peace in the world world hereafter. And though we are now apart, you're forever my heart, David.
1: Beautiful thing for a sister to write about a brother. Well done. Well, yeah,
3: well he was done. sixteen years old, so he was only like you know. i used to be like the mother Trump, but anyway. I know. know. Sure, looks yeah. But
1: anyway, please God, Lisa, and we'll get help. <coughs> there could be other people that will get
3: help. Thanks, <coughs> Lisa. So, Thank you, and regards stories. to you all. Thank you, cheers, bye. And happy Easter, bye.
1: And you too. Um, actually, as Brenda is working on Lisa's story, I apologise. And she's been in touch with uh, Gemma, who's a community drug and alcohol worker for the drug task force, uh, and she's a social care leader. With cool mind. So I'm hopeful, and Brenda's very optimistic that good things will happen moving forward. And Marie says, sad situation altogether. No one can judge unless they think they are perfect, which no one is. I hope she can sort herself out. You can't judge others unless you've been through the same yourself. Thank you for those. Just one final one. Mary says, The question I find myself asking is where are the families? Where are the cousins? Where are the friends? Where are the partners? Um, who is supplying the drugs? Yes, there are many questions there. Uh, Mary, she says, these are the people that need to rise above it and to help her. She's a human being, not a dog on the street. Poor lady, hope she gets the help she needs. Leads me back to a conversation I had yesterday on air. When you talk about people who are in the throes of addictions, um, you know this is all about money. This is all about the dealer, and not the street dealer, really. It's f- much further up the food chain. You don't see the street dealers driving the Ferraris. Back after the break. The
8: Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850 104 106.
1: i just going to just mention also, because we're covering an awful lot of ground this morning, as we do every morning. I had a big response to people, and I mentioned it earlier on, with regards to parental alienation, whether it's the dad or the ma'am involved with the children, issues with access, and you know how the courts deal with that, and also how they deal with uh, with uh, you know, they deal differently with a breach of an access order apparently than they do with a breach of a maintenance payment. If you miss that, you're off to jail fairly rapido. Uh, and I have a lot on that. It's it, unlikely that I'll do much of it today, but I just mention it because this texter says it is very sad and disappointing that you are favouring fathers in the parental alienation debate. This is a huge problem for mothers too. But you are failing to give a fair and transparent view of both genders. Please be fair in this debate. A lot of mothers have emailed you and messaged you, but you are not discussing this. Well, I can guarantee you, those that have emailed and messaged, I will be reading them out on air. uh, And I acknowledge there's a lot of them, uh, of both sexes, to be honest with you. Um, But with just one quick text um, from things that were coming in yesterday, with regards to custody, I'm a mother that wanted her child to see her dad after we split. Uh, It's not about she, it's about the child that both of you brought into the world. I'm the primary, primary carer, but her dad has five nights out of 14. My child gets both parents working together and our differences need to be put aside. The child, the children must come first regardless. So that's a mother who was happy after the split that, um, you know, she would clearly be the parental carer, the primary carer, but of the 14 nights in any period of time, uh, the child is five days. With dad, And it's about the child. So happy to come back to all of that and lots more besides before we finish this morning, hopefully, if not certainly in the morning. And I have a nice conversation actually with a man who um, I spoke to yesterday afternoon who helps parents who are going through this, uh, a partner who's going through a divorce or separation where they need help. And one of the points he was making to me yesterday was you don't need a solicitor and you don't need to be spending upwards of 10,000 euro. Uh, to be heard in court. You can do it yourself. So that and, and lots more besides. All right, text 0868-104-106. But I had hoped to talk to the artist and Cork lover uh, John Adams a couple of days back, but I didn't have an opportunity at the time. And it all came from my conversation with the Cork journalist Elio Byrne and what we know of the city. And I actually mentioned the question to the Lord Mayor of Cork there a few minutes ago as to how he would describe Cork City in ten years' time. Let me put that question to John Adams. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How so, are you? I'm well. So, with Mihal Martin announcing $405 million as a regeneration package and an awful lot of that, hundreds of millions of it, for instance, into the Docklands project. Describe Cork in 10 years' time in, 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 your, in your mind's eye.
15: Well, I mean, you're going to get a good idea of it if you're looking at the railway station area and you see what's gone up there in the last two years um it's all corporate it's all big business it's all the landlords and the political parties and their bodies making money and that's what it's all about it's not about housing people Fine Gael, Fianna fall they have no interest in housing people they've proved that over the last 20 years it's 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 in the records of how few affordable homes they've built how many homeless are in this country is a direct result of what these two political parties are doing to enrich themselves and enrich their friends, which is all about property and property developers.
1: But well, why does um, Miha Martin then say, and this is a quote from Ellie's article, the £405 million package will transform the recreational, residential and commercial areas. He mentions you know residential. Well
15: You know as well as I do that these people are experts in talking and promoting their ideas.
1: Why don't you like that area, incidentally? It was pretty much derelict for many, many, many decades. that's
15: actually my favourite area of the city. It was when it was a working docklands, but it's not anymore. Uh, They've knocked down a lot of the buildings, the silos and everything. Um, But that is the area of the city that needs regenerating. I'm not against that, but I just know what these parties will do will not be good for the people that they always decide what's good for them and their friends to make the maximum amount of money. They're not interested in the people at all. How do people keep voting them in? I don't know. Maybe it's just because there's no alternative, but the whole system is designed. And that's why I give the city managers such a hard time, because city managers and county managers are put in. By the parties to do exactly what they want, and the councillors have no power. It's a joke. Like I mean, the councillors do nothing anyway. They're all sitting in there earning money in the council, and the city manager runs the city. The county manager runs the county, and the things you were talking about before this, um, before our chat, are quite appropriate. Really, like the drug addictions, the homelessness, the country is gone to hell. In the last 10, 20 years, like 20 years ago, there was no heroin in Cork. It's it's all changed. And it's because of the politicians attitude. They don't care about society. I mean, the drug issues have never been discussed in the Dáil. They refuse. They don't talk about the drug issues. Mm -hmm. I stood up at at a policing meeting in the county hall there a few years back. It was supposed to be for the public. Um, none of the public were there because they don't advertise these things. Mm-hmm. And I said to this, this the, city, the county manager, I said, what's your drug policies? He didn't have any. They don't have any drug policies. County Cork, Cork City, they don't have drug policies
1: because they don't want anything to change. But that should be dealt with by the criminal courts.
15: No, look, Neil, most people are on drugs or alcoholics have a reason for being there. A lot of them are the most vulnerable people in society. And they're being criminalised and victimised by our politicians. And if you talk to a lot of the police, they don't think drugs should be illegal. Like the two commissioners that were there, the two highest policemen in Cork, agreed with me that there needs to be a new way of tackling the drug problems. And the politicians won't even talk about them. Now, housing... Is another issue that is causing so much trouble in this country and Michal Martin's plan for the Docklands, I have no faith that that is, that that is going to be a pr- um, solution to the housing problems. Because most of the people who are in the trouble are the pe- the poorest people who can't afford the crazy rents at the moment now. I don't know anybody who can disagree with me there, but I think the high rents have been engineered by the politicians because they're all landlords, them and their friends. They're so wealthy. I mean, Hall Martin has three and a half million in his bank account, and way
1: back up there. When did you have access to his bank account?
15: Well, it, it was actually in the paper I read it,
1: and Leo Leo, Leo and Martin three and a half million has three and a half you million know? in a bank account. Yeah. So and, that's not. That can't Leo, be right. Leo has two and a
15: half million. You know, like, like in, a ca- in a cash, po- a cash deposit account.
1: Listen, they're so
15: wealthy. These politicians. How much are they earning? Should they're earning? A no,
1: fortune? no. Hang on. Just on that point. I mean, are you confusing that with maybe a pension pot on retirement or something? Well, maybe I don't uh, know. Which means maybe yeah. it's important. You can't be going around saying that Miho Martin is three and a half million in a bank account when it's actually possibly a cu- an accumulation of his pension pot from being a TD and a minister, etc. That's like day and night. And, it, and a teacher? Does he still get his teachers? Ah, yeah. But then, well? just I have to, just have to pull you up on the three and a half million in a bank account. But he did say that thousands of houses are promised for the Docklands area. Do you believe him? Well, I mean, what else are they going to spend nearly half a billion on?
15: Well, that's a good question, but it, it's all—or or is it that people will be living
1: in, in in apartment blocks like Grenfell or something? Is it? Is that your yeah, worry?
15: Yeah, yeah. Well, I've seen I've seen the original plan for the Docklands, and it's
1: all high rise apartment blocks. But even and but even easy. if they do build those, hang on. Let me just let me just try and think this through for you. Um, if they say build a lot of the high rises on on land that is just abandoned, and it's built by private uh, enterprise. And then all of the people in IT and all of the people in tech and all of the hundreds of thousands of young people that will be in and around our city working in pharma and tech will live in the apartment buildings, will be happy to do it. they live in the middle of a vibrant city. And then when people want to raise families and have children, they'll have opportunities to buy homes, houses, three-bedroom semis elsewhere. Okay,
15: yeah, yeah, in in a dream world, Neil. But you, you say a vibrant city? Cork has been destroyed by this uh, current regime look at the neglect around the city look at North Main Street look at Shandon look at Blackpool look at Barrack Street look at the neglect around the city
1: Well, I can't and argue with at, that yeah. and, and, argue and
15: look at that. every 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 business in the city has empty rooms above it like I mean nearly every building in the city centre has empty the upstairs is empty and there's so much dereliction, why are they not forcing the landlords to look after their buildings and to rent the empty space in those buildings? Because I, was told, by, so I many- was
1: told by a senior politician when I made that point a couple of years back uh, uh, with regards to the North Main Street, and the answer I was told was all of those buildings on the North Main Street, say for his example, that are empty upstairs, they could never ever be retrofitted with a fire escape and they would need a fire escape.
15: Yeah, they always use those kind of excuses. Like I mean, we've been people have been living in the city for, for so long, why do we have to change? You know? I mean there's there's apartments up in Saint Luke's, four or five stories. I lived in them myself. So they don't have a fire escape. They've only got one they've only got um one stairs going down, Neil. I actually had a rope attached to the inside of my wall in my apartment because I was living three stories up in case of a fire. So I'd get out the window and go down the rope. What
1: are your thoughts on the prison?
15: Well, my thoughts on the prison are that these politicians are just criminalizing society. No, the prison, the prison, the the,
1: the actual port of Cork site, the prison.
15: Oh, the prism. Oh, yes. sorry. I thought you said the prism. No, look, my thoughts on that. I've been fighting this for eight years, all right? Um, the port of Cork buildings, in my mind, are some of the most important heritage buildings in the city. Um, this city is 800 years old. We've been trading from that spot in our city for as long as, well, okay, those buildings are 200 years old, but there was probably something doing the same job before then. Um, Aren't they protected under this build? Yeah, yeah. They were built by French prisoners who are extremely good stonemasons. The stonework is absolutely brilliant. The woodwork is brilliant. Um, I've been proposing a maritime museum for that site, but basically they were owned by the public, they were um, they were state assets, right, under the Port of Cork now the Port of Cork let those buildings go into complete disrepair they did no maintenance on them for the whole time that they had those buildings and uh, they even took down one of the canopies along the north side of the building Simply because homeless people were sleeping under the canopies.
1: See, we are referring to the bonded warehouses, beautiful, yeah. beautiful stonework. But my They're point beautiful. is, aren't they being transferred, transformed and converted into a museum, a heritage centre? Center, no, a uh, five-star hotel, Neil. Above the A them, five-star I, hotel
15: which will have run, one room in there supposedly dedicated to heritage. I mean, come on. Like, five-star hotel? How many people in Cork are going to be allowed into that? What are you going to have to wear to go in the door? How much are you going to have to spend if you go in there? It's a five-star hotel. It's an elitist thing, which is what these government are all about. It's about helping the rich. That's all they're interested in. So this is a playground for the rich.
1: I mean, you're an you're artist. You're people. into what is pleasing to the eye. Um, they made okay, an effort you're with...
15: me what I think of it um, to look at. Yeah. Well... It's huge, isn't it? It's 35 stories. I'd imagine the shadow will go all the way over to Curtain Street. Um, To be honest with you, I don't have any objections to the building itself, but I think it should be built somewhere else, not on top of our heritage buildings. And
1: when you try try and incorporate heritage buildings into modern builds, uh, Navigation House is an example of that. Uh, That's a disgrace. I mean, God almighty, Neil, that is horrendous. Is it? That is the biggest insult, yeah.
15: But it's typical O'Callaghan properties, developments. Like, I mean, if you see the way they treat heritage, look, go over to Lavitt's Quay and look at the state of what they built there. It's so ugly. They they specialise in ugly buildings. I know, I mean, O'Callaghan.
1: in fairness, you can't be saying that. Like, they have done an awful I lot of work in the are. city, employed an awful lot of people. And, yeah. And I mean, you're, you're, really you're, looking at, you're looking at a building whose façade could not be taken down, yet you want the port area to be developed by the likes of O'Callaghan properties. They do it and protect the front of the building, and then we complain about that.
15: Yeah, absolutely, because it's not protecting buildings. This City Council think that the keeping the front wall, that's a protection of a, of a heritage building. You don't think that it's
1: works, son, when you look at
15: it, no? No, no. Now, look at that thing over by the... They've knocked down all those beautiful buildings beside the... Uh, The train station they kept the front walls it's the same thing and they built this huge big office block on top of it
1: they kept the front walls there's another plan for the mckechnie building for instance mckenzie's i should say yeah on camden well i
15: actually had that building i don't know if you remember when i set up the art trail in in 96 yeah so I, i had that building for a year and we ran the art trail in there it was it was a stunning building, inside and out. Inside had beautiful staircase, beautiful wooden floors and and skylights in the roof. But surely that
1: will all be celebrated again, that that is still all there and will be incorporated no, into a hotel. they knocked
15: down the building. They knocked down the building. They just kept the front wall. So it'll be all modern inside. A hotel. So, yeah. I mean, you know, we've got to decide what we want to keep of our city. The city is... Going corporate, they've, they've, their policies have driven out so many cork businesses out of the city centre. I think it's lost its soul already. Okay, hold on I there. I want some
1: people. I want some people to jump in on this because otherwise I'll be under pressure for time. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Why is it so refreshing to hear John Adams? He's so negative. Oh
7: no, he's not. No, he's, he's calling it as he see. As a lot of us see it around the city. Our city our city has been It's been turned into A mecca for a big business uh, For apartments, for landlords uh, With no thought for inner city living Which should have been dealt with uh, 20 years ago I spoke to you many times before About the death of the, our inner city uh, And the but that But can you not see live. that this
1: will breathe Life back into it again
7: No, for, for some Neil
1: For some No, for no, 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 for I people do. to live in our city Neil, at, at, at what cost? And, and no, no, and, and the only way in a city Neil, that one can live... Talk. All right, sorry, go ahead.
7: At what cost, Neil? Who's going to be able to afford the rent? They can't, they can't afford the rent at the moment. You're talking about a 10-year plan or a 15-year plan. What's the rent going to be like then? And, and, who's going, and who are the people that are going to be living in them? Where are they going to be from? coming from and the whole lot of things?
1: There'll be there'll, be there'll be perhaps people who'll be coming here, contributing to the economy locally, working for Apple. Apple can't what get enough square.
13: Yeah, yeah but we are not,
1: people
7: people—we've yeah, been well, driven well, out of well, our own city. Hold on a hold on a while, now, Neil. Do do they, do they not realise? that big companies have now found, found a niche for people working at home. They're not going to be renting office space uh, and paying through the nose or, bu- or buying big buildings. They well, they they like
1: well, they may. some of them may be quaking in their boots with the change now. I know people who are doing office developments.
7: But we will, we
1: will have a city with more people living in it. We'll have more people shopping in it. We'll have a lot of artisan businesses, people going for dinner, drinks, coffees.
7: And, and, and that's why so many of our own had to emigrate and go overseas to get work and, and find a place to live. Listen, if all the people, Irish people who would like to come home would, would come home, our country would be in the height of trouble. Because there's, there's no infrastructure fund. There has been no yes. infrastructure plan for them. There's
15: 10,000 homeless people in the country. Yeah,
7: that's correct. That's correct. So, you know, why aren't we the solving these
15: issues first, Neil? Why we aren't we helping the homeless?
1: Yeah, I think I think Elio Burn worked out that four hundred and five million euro for the city works out or one hundred and seventy four thousand euro for every homeless child. Which that was an interesting statistic. But,
12: yeah, but you listen, this is only
7: about revenue. It's just, this is only a turnover for revenue. This has got nothing to do with people and and, and for people. They don't care about these things.
15: And Neil, if you want people in the city, you've got to open up all those buildings that are empty upstairs and get them into the city, you know,
1: and make the rents affordable. Okay, just before I go, Kathleen, jump in there. What are your thoughts on what John, the two Johns are saying?
6: Um, I think they're absolutely right, Neil, about the North Mint Street because at half past six last Sunday just gone out, there was um, a shop in the North Mint Street called Daybreak. And it was robbed at night point and they took from the cash drawer seven hundred euros. This guy, he had a mask on him, or a balaclava, or his face was covered, and he was able to take three really seven hundred And that's a, and that's a drawer. terrible
1: thing. But that's an example of criminality.
6: It is an example of the North Mid Street as well, Neil. How rough it's gone. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's they're they're. There's stealing going on outside the, the chemist in the North Main Street as well. You know, there are around. Neil, this is
15: the this is all about the neglect. I'm talking about neglect comes in many forms. It's not just in buildings. It's about the people. And this city council, this city manager is neglecting the people of the city. We're being Absolutely. neglected because all she's interested in is big business and the corporate world.
6: I'd say if you went to any uh, remaining shopkeepers that's open in the Northman Street they'd have the very same to say that this the, 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 it's, they're neglected. Basically neglected. Le- There's another shop closing down next next door now to Dunn's again. It's a paint shop. paint and, a, All right, and well let's paper. not let's
1: not speculate on that because I don't even know if they if they well, are closing yeah. down or not. So Neil, don't in yeah. in nineteen ninety six I was
15: working for RTE on the radio and I made a program about Cork and I said the multinationals are going to come and take over this city and that was 96 and I went around and I did a vox pop on Patrick Street and most people didn't agree with me at the time but I think it would be very interesting to do it now because this is exactly what happened our city has been taken over by the multinationals under this corporate uh, executive manager who who's only interested But if you build but if
1: you build hotels And you put people in those hotels and they come and visit from overseas. Isn't isn't that what we need? That's not what we need. But don't don't they in turn then spend in the local economy and businesses benefit from providing all of the services to Oh Neil Neil, you're arguing I can't understand how you can
15: say we need hotels in this city when we've just told you what we need. We need affordable rents and we need apartments that people can afford in the city centre. And people don't want to live in high rise apartments yep. they want to live yep. in nice buildings you know me, a building where they feel, the feel like it's a home
1: okay john in yeah in just finally go on yeah
7: listen we're bringing in multinationals who will pay little or no proper tax in a,
15: in a that's
1: yeah but every single employee that works in an apple or a Pharma spends in cork and they yep. pay tax the employees
7: neil, neil you're missing the point the workers pay tax, which pops up the choppers of rent, so their deal can be done with the government. But you know, they'll employ people and keep off the live So do you
1: guys want to just close the doors and turn the lights out then, is it? No, oh, no. Neil, that's oh, no. not at
15: all. I'm saying renovate the buildings that are there first. Renovate the buildings that are there first and make them livable for people and bring the rents down so people can afford them. Like This government money, can- and and fine Gale and Fianna Fall refuse to bring a rent cap in because they're all landlords and they're only interested in making money. Uh, sorry, they're they, not, fro- they froze, froze rents
1: during COVID. It can people. be done. They also fr- froze eviction orders during COVID. It can be done. Uh, yeah, it can yeah, be yeah, done, but they, Higgins, they won't do it.
7: And Michael it. D. Higgins signed the eviction bill. Yeah, that was a big help.
1: Yeah. I'll pick it up in the morning, guys. Thank you both for taking the call and Kathleen as well. Thank you to John Adams, the artist, and uh, John Byrne by phone and Kathleen as well. Your thoughts are welcome. I wish I had more time, but I don't. One final word here. My poor other half is dreading hospitality opening. I'll be 50 in December and I always said I'd be married for my 50th birthday. We're together years and a very proud grandparents now in our elder years. Uh, He's younger than me but I've aged him well. He was loving the fact that we couldn't book anything in the last 12 months, but my God, I'll have my way. So fingers crossed after yesterday's speech from our Taoiseach that i will be an old married one at Christmas, says Mags in Balfihan, um 50 in December. And always said to be married uh, for my 50th birthday, so it will happen. Thank you for that text. Keep them coming, uh, particularly if you're optimistic going forward, or indeed if not, with regards to what John Adams has had to say. You can always bang me off an email if you wish. Email neil at uh, redfm.ie. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow.
14: Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more
12: great Red FM content.